Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the March 10th, 2021 uh, Board of Trustees meeting. Uh, we'll start off with a roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Dong. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. We now will go into public comment. It's my understanding that there is no scheduled public comment for this evening. Is that correct, Madam Clerk? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Uh, just a few comments on this section. As a reminder to our public, this Board of Trustees welcomes public comment. Uh, as they say, all feedback and commentary is a gift. Generally, commentary on public com uh, general commentary on public comment for our speakers. One, you need to inform the clerk of the board prior to the meeting that you would like to make public comment. Two, public comment can be made for specific agenda items or for non-agendized items. Non-agendized items come in this slot. Um, uh, agenda for agendized items right before that slot. Third, generally speaking, the time limit is about up to three minutes per speaker. However, if there are many speakers, we'll reduce the time per speaker accordingly to adjust towards about 30 minutes of, of public comment. But bar, given that we have no public comment, I'll move now into open session if that's acceptable to all. And we'll go to item A, uh, the executive officer's report. 10 minutes have been allocated here. I'll start off with the article before handing off to our vice president and our secretary chair, uh, secretary, secretary treasurer. Um, the article here is entitled Top Boards Do These Four Things Differently. Um, uh, I've obviously been thinking about our board, our performance as an organization, and that also includes our performance as, as a board. And, and uh, this article is included in the packet for the public and for the rest of the trustees. A couple of comments on this, uh, uh, and I'll read to you. Uh, there, there, there was kind of an analysis of so-called high-performing boards, and and, and uh, for the sake of this uh, article, they call these the quote, gold medal boards. And those that were rated themselves as operating in a highly effective manner and that oversee a high performing company. The data around this, these gold medal boards were that uh, was clear. Gold medal boards don't spend any more time on their work than other boards, but they spend their time in vastly different ways. Gold medal boards were 10% uh, 10 percent more likely to list strategic planning on, or review as a top area, seven percent more likely to list oversight on major transactions, six percent more likely to list CEO and management succession planning in their list of objectives. It's not that uh, these boards don't fulfill their review and compliance responsibilities. Obviously, we do that and that's required of us. They absolutely do, but they don't spend any more time on it than is necessary and they use the time they save to focus on more value-added work. So the four best practices in this article, one, refocus the board agenda. Gold medal boards spend their time looking forward, not as much looking back. The most important and most impactful activities are forward-looking ones, strategic planning, CEO and management succession planning, improved oversight of the enterprise uh, and financials. Two, make debate a top priority. Gold medal boards 
have members and committee chairs that act as facilitators. In this role, they foster high quality debate, build trust amongst the trustees and with management, and they actively seek out different points of view. And they assure that everyone was contributing their experience and expertise. Four, give clear feedback. Gold medal boards make sure they're giving directors, trustees, clear performance feedback. There should be an annual assessment of each trustee's contribution with the board chair responsible for giving clear and actionable feedback and coaching to each trustee. Strong feedback leads to strong performance. Last, be present and ready to speak up. When individual trustees are distracted, overall board performance drops. A willingness to speak up and avoid groupthink is essential to making good board decisions. Reviewing financial statements, audit activities, and compliance activities are the responsibility of the board, but not the mission of the board. The most successful boards not only know this, but they craft their work and interactions to reflect it. I'll close out there and entertain any commentary before handing off to uh, Vice President Jensen and Secretary Treasurer Esteen. Trustees, any comments on this article? I always have something to say. So, um, yep, very, very, very salient. And I think like um, the other thing is the continuous learning part. So board development, I feel like where we are learning and then um, spe specifically for a public health, public um, board like us, it's the community benefit. Like, are we always aligning with um, the needs and priorities of our community too. So those are the couple of things that really came up um, as we look um, specifically for our board. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. <clears throat> Trustee Dong, any comments? Mm -hmm. I have a comment. Yes. Yes, I have a comment. Oh, sorry. I uh, Trustee have Dong, then Trustee Fox. <laughs> um, this is a great article as we self-reflect as we move forward into retreat on April 30th, I think. I think as we are transitioning as a reconstituted board, it's always helpful to read these kind of articles because it provides a framework for us to look at ourselves and what might apply, what might not apply. Um, for me, I think uh, the most salient points talked about the vision and the strategy and looking forward. And it, really depending on our executive leadership team to help us implement and execute that those strategies and policies. So I, I really appreciated the article. Thank you, um, Chair Burkett. Thank you, Trustee Don. Trustee Fox. Uh, my comment is that uh, I think to the extent that the board uh, may not be spending time on some of the strategic and forward-looking issues that the article suggests, that we should remember that we can rely on our committees to get more involved in the um, uh, oversight, financial audit, uh, and even quality issues that the board needs to monitor uh, so that the board as a whole, when we have these meetings, can really, really look at some of the issues that the article suggests. Thank you. For, thank you for those comments, Trustee Fox. Any other comments from any of the other trustees? All right, I, as, as I believe it's our job to set, help set tone and culture for the organization. And uh, if, we, if, we, if we illustrate that performance improvement starts at the top as well, I, I think it, it, can, it can percolate through the organization. And I know 
Mr. Jackson is, is very interested in performance improvement amongst all of us. So let's follow in that theme. With that item, I will now cede uh, the podium to uh, Vice President Jensen. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. I did also appreciate the article and I appreciate the way that you um, you share information about things that, that come up in uh, the acute care clinical setting because not all of us are in that in that environment. And of course, we, it's of interest to me to understand how um, how this pandemic is affecting everyone at all of our sites. So um, with that, I, I want to mention something, an article that I was reviewing in February, a New York Times article that was entitled, See How COVID-19 Has Tested the Limits of Hospitals and Staff. And um, I haven't shared this with the whole board, but I'll definitely send it out. It was um, in the Times on February 23rd. And what I kind of got out of it very briefly is that um, really the burden, the change, the how treatments have changed and how clinical um, support needs of patients have changed with this pandemic. And not only, um, not only the number of patients coming into our facilities and all acute care facilities, but um, how managing COVID-19 positive patients when they become patients is a, it's not just a challenge, but it requires a lot more intervention and a lot more work by staff. So, um, you know, it, it, as we hear about things about um, medical staff learning how to manage COVID, and we've seen, I know at our sites, um, we've seen that the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a lot of real severe and, and substantial interventions like breathing tubes and ventilators and, and things like that. I think that all of our staff is so attuned and aware and understanding and, and, and um, brilliant about figuring out how to best treat patients that we've moved away from those things. And I've seen it in all of the updates that we get from um, from leadership about the number of patients and the number of patients on ventilators. It was very high at the beginning of the pandemic, and now it's we may have inpatients who are diagnosed with COVID-19, but we don't have so many of those patients on ventilators. So. Um, I think I, I appreciate that staff has moved towards this, that our clinical staff has moved away from invasive treatments, but then the alternative treatments obviously are burdensome as well. Not just the fact that since we've had this pandemic, everyone must doff and don gowns at every room. How many times a day? I don't know. Um, Taft or someone else, the nursing staff can respond, but I know that that takes a lot of time to put on the masks and the protective gear every time you you support a patient so that takes up time that would otherwise and, and routinely been used for caring for patients and then some of the other treatments that we've had that have been very successful and supportive for patients like um proning patients turning patients upside down and right side up that takes a, one one clinical staff doesn't do that one bed sitter or one nurse that takes a couple of people at a at a scheduled time so i just want to share this um what i've read i'll share the link to the article and and really think critically and thank all of our staff for what i know must be just a, a incredibly I, what i understand has been an incredibly um hard and long road and and you're you're working hard and thank you thank you vice president jensen uh secretary treasurer uh esteem thank you for that thoughtful share uh, Trustee Jensen, 
And thank you for the article, uh, Chair Bouquet. You often, every meeting, regularly share uh, something that gives us all thought. And there were a couple pieces of this article that stood out to me. Um, the section on motivation, where it says the right incentives must be in place to align directors' interests with those of the inv individuals they are meant to represent. In this case, the article is referring to shareholders and other stakeholders, but uh, it also says employees, customers, and the community. And I think it's really important for us to remember that we are here serving all of Alameda County and all of those who choose to come into the Alameda Health System and others who have no choice. So we must bear in mind the deep responsibility we have um, in serving this health system and those of whom uh, both choose and don't choose to come here because they all deserve the best level of care possible. And it is ever exciting to be a member of this board with such a thoughtful group. Thank, thank you, Secretary Treasurer Steen. Um, uh, folks, uh, any other comments from the executive officer report as I bring agenda item A to a close? Thank you everyone for that opening discussion. We'll close item A. Before I go to item B, our CEO report, I, I've, I, I've received some texts that, that, that some people do not know how to submit for public comment. Um, and then at least two have come to attention. I do not know who they are. Um, Madam Clerk, can you comment? Uh, uh, oh, sorry, uh, General Counsel knows that there's a public comment request. Uh, I think I've just been messaged. So um, uh, thank you, Mike. I see one name. Are there, is there a second one? I, 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 will, I will go with the first name that's been presented to, to us. Again, uh, uh, public, you can reach out to the clerk of the board, uh, Rana Jojola Gonzalez, and um, uh, she, will, she will post you uh, and, and inform me. We have, I see one public speaker, this is Mawada Kamara. Uh, Mawada, are you here? Hello, Mawada. Hi, how are you? Well, welcome, Mawada. Give us a sound check one more time. Hello? Get, can you get a little closer to your mic for us? Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, that's pretty good. Thank you very much. Welcome. Um, three minutes on the clock, okay? Okay. Um, Thank my you for your comment. No problem. Uh, my name is Mawata Kamara. I am a nurse over at San Leandro Hospital. I am also a member of CNA, um, California Nurses Association. And um, as you all may be aware, um, we have been um, in contract negotiations at San Leandro for two plus years, uh, which led to a strike. And then um, the whole governor's structure change that is currently happening now in the Board of Trustees. Um, typically, um, <laughs> When we presented ourselves to the Board of Trustees in the past, or the Board of Supervisors, uh, I feel like over the past few years, it's been a negative encounter um, because we have so many issues that are going on at the hospital. But um, I'm pleased, if you guys don't know already, we reached a tentative agreement finally with our contract after over two years of fighting. Um, last week, we came up with a tentative agreement. All of our nurses we've been talking to throughout the you know week, it's been a tremendous difference. Um, we're very happy. Um, and I just wanted to come on 
today and commend you all for your hard work. We're already seeing the results. Um, within the past few weeks, we've met with management multiple times. And some of the issues that we discussed was building better relations with labor relations um, so they can better be able to you know, serve our patients and our staff. Um, we had another meeting today about workplace violence because that's been an ongoing issue over at San Leandro Hospital. And um, I'm happy to say we had the meeting this morning and management already sent us some of our um, areas of concerns, a follow-up email and how we can move forward. So we're seeing a lot of movement in terms of the hospital and the new staff working with us and taking our concerns seriously. Um, we are very pleased about some of the changes that were made in terms of our healthcare benefits and our contract, uh, um, respecting, um, you know, just our profession and um, th thinking about moving away from a more punitive mindset when it comes to um, dealing with issues that happen at the hospital and focusing more on how we can train our uh, staff and educate our staff so we can retain nurses. Those are all the, some of the conversations that we're having at the table. So I just wanted to, you know, get on a call to let you all know that whatever it is that you guys are doing, <laughs> we've heard a little bit of it, it's working. And I wanna commend you all for your hard work and we're always open to working with you guys um, moving forward. Ms. Kamara uh, and to all the public, our rules of order dictate that we don't respond directly to public comment. We're in receipt, but I'll say thank you for your comments and I'll throw you a very big smile. Okay. Um, Guys, so all have a good night. Thank, thank you for your comments, Ms. Kamara, and your, and your service at San Leandro Hospital. Um, I don't see that there are any others. Mike, have you re received any other? Rana, have you received any other comment? Got it. I don't have any. Thank you. With that, we will close out the public comment and we'll go to agenda item B, our, our CEO report. Uh, 15 minutes have been allocated at the time, but uh, he's our CEO, so he can have what he wants. <laughs> Thank you, Chair Bouquet. I'll ask the clerk to bring up my presentation. And while that's taking place, I will just say that um, in my perfect world, I would just cede my time to Ms. Kamara and allow her to continue because what she said is really fantastic. And certainly um, I'm grateful to her because we certainly hear when things are not good. And so her coming and sharing when things are moving in the right direction, I think is important and appreciated. So um, um, is the presentation coming up? Rana, do you have the presentation? Uh, I, I don't have your presentation. Do you mean the COVID-19 one? No, um, Sharia sent over my presentation, I thought. Um, but Mike, if you... I'm sorry? I don't have it. I'm sorry. Hmm. Okay. Um, Mike, am I allowed to share a screen? Yes. Thank you. Let me see if that worked. Um, okay. Are you are you seeing my my screen? We 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 are seeing your screen, sir. It's in. Uh, it's uh, not in full presentation mode, but we can see it. 
I see. Good. Okay, let me move to presentation mode. There. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, well, allow me to dive in. So my presentation this night is going to be based on the pillars of the organization. And as a quick reminder, the pillars of AHS are access, network, patient experience, quality, sustainability, and workforce. So the comments that I will be sharing are will fall under the various pillars. I, I do not have something for every pillar. For example, sustainability is going to be covered under the finance report, and so I will not go into detail on finances, but the balance of my comments will be um, attributable to each of the pillars. Under the access pillar, um, I just wanted to spend some time talking about restoration and recovery. In the middle of 2020, AHS pivoted from an incident command center mode in regards to COVID-19 to, to restoration and recovery. COVID positive patient numbers have dramatically reduced throughout the system. A month ago, we were caring for over 80 COVID positive patients. Uh, this week, our census of COVID positive patients has been just below 20. And so significant progress in that way. I, I think you're all aware that we, um, as of today, moved to the red tier in our county. And so as a, a direct result of that, patient services are in the process of being restored across the system. OR cases are being added as well as increased um, where they've been decreased. Um, we have started taking elective inpatient services and GI cases are being added as well as uh, increased volume. We do have a backlog in both GI as well as um, in surgery. And so we are actively looking at how we can push to resume those, ser those services. Um, and the reality is that there has been a pretty significant financial impact to COVID-19, which our CFO will speak to in more detail later. Also, I would note that our mix of services has changed. We've seen a reduction in the emergency department as well as in psychiatric emergency services and trauma and then surgical volumes. Um, we have had some degree of offset by virtue of CARES funding. Um, we received about $20 million in January. And thus far through the year, we've received over $40 million in CARES funds. Um, in regards, uh, furthermore, in um, restoration and recovery, ambulatory care services have pivoted to virtual care, and that's inclusive of telephone as well as uh, video visits. Um, and that has aided our ability to meet patient clinical needs as well as to meet um, our financial and sustainability metrics. Um, and we actually have gotten to about 5% above budget year to date in that area. Access to primary and specialty care has improved markedly, um, allowing us to meet target. And so utilizing these different modalities has been beneficial for our system. Um, DHCS recently released a memo signaling that reimbursement for telephone only visits will be reduced starting in July of 2021. The memo also signaled that reimbursement for video visits will likely to continue at full reimbursement. This information is currently being used to develop our future state strategy for our continued virtual care. I would offer also that the largest initiative that Ambulatory has launched um, right now is COVID vaccinations for our patients over the age of 65. And in the month of February, we administered over 1,600, almost 1,700 doses, and we continue our ramp up plan for expansion to the other tiers. Dr. Swift will speak more about this uh, later in our meeting this evening. In regards to network, uh, I wanted to talk briefly about COVID-19 testing. In partnership with the Alameda County Public Health Department, we've now tested 
almost 11,000 patients for COVID-19 at the Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center. And that's from the end of October through the end of February. We will be closing this testing site um, after consultation with the public health department on March 27th. Um, in general, COVID-19 testing demand has been decreasing at our site compared to earlier in the surge. Our February 2021 20, daily average was about 150 patients per day. And in December, we were routinely testing around 370 patients per day. So we've seen a pretty dramatic drop off. We will continue to offer COVID-19 testing um, at AHS for our ambulatory patients. And we test all patients being admitted to our hospitals for COVID-19. In regard to workforce, again, um, Ms. Kamara, um, I think really said it all, but um, we are seeing improved staffing levels as staff are returning from their COVID leaves of absence. Um, we are continuing our labor negotiations and she gave you a little bit of an insight as to how they're going. We also are making uh, significant progress with SEIU and, um, and then working on focused clinical education and the training of our internal staff for ICU as well as for surgery. COVID-19 vaccine, um, I, I don't want to spend too much time here. I mean, you can read the slide, but Dr. Swift is going to later on in the evening spend a good amount of time on this. And so I will not belabor this one very much right now. Um, and then moving to experience, um, we are currently in the midst of our system-wide culture of safety survey. Um, I, I will share with uh, the trustees and with the public, we've seen, la the last time the survey was done, uh, two years ago, um, there was a 70% response rate, which was pretty good. And we targeted 80% um, this time around. We've seen a significantly lower response rate. We are one week from our planned end of it, and we're about 38% response rate. So um, getting a lot of feedback from both um, staff as well as physicians about why they've not responded, we continue to urge them. Um, I, have, I have said on more than one occasion, the only way to sh make sure that we don't fix your problem is if you don't tell us about your problem. And so I'm really urging staff to tell us um, the good, the bad, and the ugly so that we can begin the process of working to fix things. One of the things we've heard is that the results weren't shared adequately in the last iteration of this survey. Um, Dr. Tanvir Hussein has put together a very nice process by which the results will be shared. And we've been telling the staff this and we're hopeful that they are going to um, trust us and give us the benefit of their input. Um, patient experience. We um, continue to try to build the trust with our, our patients, and we've implemented a number of patient councils to receive direct feedback from our patients. These include the Patient Experience Council at Alameda Hospital that's focused on our emergency department and Highland Hospital Spanish-speaking and MAM-speaking advisory councils. Our efforts to address health disparities also continue. The Black Centering Program, which initially launched in September of 2020, is now in its fourth cohort. And there's really just fantastic positive feedback from our pilot patients, as well as engagement from, from numerous sectors of the community to create culturally affirming materials, education, as well as spaces for our Black uh, pregnant patients. And so um, there is a video, which I believe has been pushed out to the trustees, um, where the one of the founders of the program, Jaisha, um, was interviewed on KRON. It's really a fantastic interview if you've not had the opportunity to see it yet. And then quality. We've had some pretty uh, wonderful quality outcomes. 
Um, we had a successful Joint Commission accreditation for all of the hospitals, um, achieved 90% of the Medi-Cal quality incentive program metrics, um, pay for performance program with 77 different metrics. Um, I did want to highlight post-acute care and Richard Espinosa, who I believe is on the line. We have achieved the CMS five-star rating and overall um, quality measures for all of the AHS skilled nursing facilities, as well as achieving our CARF accreditation, which was a target back when I was here in my pre prior life. And Richard was able to bring that home and so terribly proud of them for that work. And also the relief that we've seen by virtue of the COVID unit that was opened over at Fairmont Hospital. And so that's allowed COVID positive patients who no longer required acute care to be stepped down to a COVID positive unit at Fairmont, allowing for uh, turnover in acute care beds that we were not able to do prior to the opening of that unit. That is the end of my prepared slides. And so I'd like to open for questions and comments from the trustees. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Trustees, any questions for um, Mr. Jackson? Sorry, I may not be able to see everyone raising their hand. Oh, it's Trustee Jensen. Um, thank you, Jim. That was, that was um, really robust report. I appreciate it. I wanted to say... Tracy, your, your mic is a, a little muffled. Is that better? Slightly better. No. Okay. Um, okay. Is this better? I'm moving it. Can you hear me better now? That's kind of a push. <laughs> uh, okay, let me change. Go ahead. Get someone else. Just go for it. We'll try. Okay. Um, what I just wanted to say was with regard to um, the the um, survey, I wanted to just share that I think, um, and this goes actually back to, um, to, to to board member Fox's, director Fox's comment as well. Um, we, some of this, these things were done and were heard in committee and then maybe not pushed out to the entire board. And I think in HR, we did have extensive discussion about that last survey. But there were other things going on, and so not all information was um, shared completely with the board. And, and I, I really appreciate your remarks and your presentation, James, because this demonstrates why the committees and how the committee should be more completely transparent with the board, not only just with, with our colleagues on the board, but with um, that will let staff know that their comments are received and that their comments are addressed. So thank you for, for sharing that. That brings up something that that we can discuss, um, board member Blue and, uh, and myself and others in HR committee. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. I appreciate your comments. Trustees, any other comments for Mr. Jackson? Our dialogue and debate and conversation. You know, I, I would like to echo the commentary that we just heard from our uh, staff nurse in San Leandro Hospital that the improvement we are seeing is in direct correlation to change in leadership. Um, and I know it, it can sometimes be unscientific to make causation without correlation, but I think in this instance, it might be helpful to say that the improvement is because of leadership change. So it's really wonderful, super wonderful. Thank you, Trustee Esteem. Trust, uh, Trustee Banerjee, did you have your hand raised? Yeah, I did. Please. Thank you. 
Yeah, thanks for the updates, um, James, and lots happening in these um, in this month since we last met as, a, as the full board. Um, and again, the shift in the ethos of leadership and in the ability to kind of work through change, through conflict, these, these are still very tough times with, with COVID, with all of the other things happening. And um, it's very heartened to hear um, back from our CNA nurses that two years have been excruciating, absolutely excruciating for the nurses who are the lifeblood of our organization. And it's to see this um, resolution is really, really um, uh, terrific. And um, also commend um, some of the leadership changes that are coming in too, because um, you need a really team around you and that's really helpful. Um, building that is really helpful. So thank you. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Other trustees, going once, going twice, we will close out item B, our CEO report. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Um, we'll, we will now move in our medical staff reports. 15 minutes have been allocated for this section, so roughly five minutes apiece. We have three of our med staff leaders uh, in the room. Dr. Irina Williams to remind everybody. Hi, I, Dr. Williams. She's the chief of the medical staff for Alameda Health System, which we define as San Leandro and, and Highland. Dr. Adris Afzali, who uh, leads up the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. And of course, Dr. Kathy Pyun, who is the chief of the medical staff for Alameda Hospital. As a reminder to our trustees, we have actually have two medical staffs spanning our three hospital system. So uh, dealer's choice, uh, actually Dr. Williams is like right in the middle of my screen. So I'm gonna give uh, to, to Dr. Williams. Good evening, Dr. Williams. Good evening. Um, the okay. mic is yours. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so let me start with my report for the AHS med staff. Um, in terms of credentials and privileges, uh, we've had this discussion uh, during the last uh, QPSC. Um, I wanted to s sort of go straight to some of the um, items on our rank list. Um, I think some of the uh, issues and concerns that we've mentioned before uh, were issues around transparency and trust and issues around accountability. Um, so sort of echoing what Mr. Jackson uh, mentioned about the score survey, um, we as med staff have tried to um, figure out a way to address concerns that providers have re regarding uh, the trust um, into the survey and some concerns that providers have regarding it being truly anonymous and sort of how the results are going to be implemented to really help improve participation and really help um, med staff to get their voice heard. So uh, we did uh, have a med staff town hall earlier this week and um, uh, I really appreciate the participation of the executive leadership in this town hall to answer questions uh, that med staff had about the survey. And um, uh, this was an opportunity for the med staff to really ask um, anonymously and safely questions that they may have and may that may keep them from participating in the service. So um, I think it was a good effort. And again, I really appreciate the leadership participation in this um, 
town hall. I have to say that overall, we would like to see a um, larger portion of the med staff joining the town halls. Um, we're looking into ways of improving and the bi-directional communication with the med staff. Um, and during our last town hall, we have sort of put this question out there uh, to, to see if med staff has any suggestions regarding what other um, what other avenues and what other routes of communication may be more effective and more um, acceptable. So um, hopefully we'll get some additional ideas on that. Um, in terms of accountability, um, historically, I think we've struggled with um, tracking and um, sort of the way to consistently document and track uh, some issues related to um, professionalism behavior. And right now we um, have joined efforts with the quality team to really look into MITRE system as a way to improve accountability and tracking and sort of organize um, how we approach uh, issues related to, uh, to professionalism. So that's another initiative that we're working on right now, sort of med staff jointly with um, uh, with the quality department. So I think this concludes some of the highlights of my report for today. Thank you, Dr. Williams. Trustees, any questions for Dr. Williams on her report? The trustee esteem. How many people attended the town hall? We had um, about 50, which was not bad, but we hoping <laughs> we would love to see a larger number. How many people are on mid staff? It's a great question. Um, I can't I can't tell you the exact number, but it's a much larger number than this. <laughs> I think it's in the upper the I'm, I'm sorry. I, my, my recollection, and again, this is, uh, please don't hold me to this. I think it's upper three figures in the 700 range is what I've heard historically. Um, uh, that includes many uh, people who don't work full-time here, uh, uh, part-timers and the like. That's my rough recollection, and it's very rough. And of course, this happened during the work hours and clinical duties take uh, priority over meetings so it's 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 challenging and i completely understand that but uh i'm grateful for people who did find time and hopefully that was a useful and meaningful activity for them so so, so dr williams at the last report i heard that the top three uh were trust accountability and communication and it sounds like are these still your dom domains that you're working on right right okay. right well, we have, I think we always appreciate hearing uh, people when they when they express where where our vulnerabilities are, and then I think I appreciate that you've offered some sort of mitigation plan. So we look forward to hearing back from that. I thought I saw Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, I I wanted to um, know what's the cadence for these town halls, and I know it has been mentioned in one of the previous. I'm sorry, the question was about the cadence. Yes. So um, as of right now, is there a plan to have them round the year like every other? Uh, has that been like the learning arc or the engagement arc been planned? Yes. So as of right now, we've been uh, doing uh, having them once a month. 
So it's a, it's a monthly event, and um, uh, to make it more uh, sort of pertinent to to the provider needs, um, we've been trying to see what other topics may be uh, helpful to cover. So it's sort of work in progress right now. Thank you. Dr. Williams, again, thank you for your report. We uh, look forward to you continuing to tell us how the AHS medical staff is doing. Um, Dr. Idris Afzali. Hello, Dr. Afzali, how are you? Uh, Dr. Afzali is an ER physician and he represents the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. How are you doing, Dr. Afzali? Hello, good evening. I'm well, thank you, Dr. Bouquet. Uh, the floor you. is yours for the next five minutes, sir. Will do. Um, thank you for having me and for that time. Uh, our leadership committee met on March 2nd uh, with representatives from nursing leadership, admin leadership, and physician leaders uh, from San Leandro Hospital. Uh, we will be trying a new rearranged layout of the meeting for uh, from here on out uh, with the with the focus on 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 business and action items. Uh, in an SBAR format uh, to sort of bring a focus to the issues that we're dealing with uh, rather than simply reiterating reports that are already being presented to other committees. So that's the way I'll present uh, this today. Um, and uh, the, the, the three items that are uh, that have taken front and center that we've uh, sort of gotten started on for this month uh, the first one was, and then, and, you know, they're in no particular order. Uh, sepsis, uh, it has been on the uh, back burner uh, for the past couple of months because of COVID. Uh, CMS has not been tracking it for some time uh, uh, and has not been requesting reports on it for some time. Uh, so it's, it, it has taken uh, taken a, a secondary priority, so to speak, but it's a, it's a dangerous disease, high mortality once it gets past a certain point. Early detection is, uh, is key and early intervention is critical. Uh, and so we want to bring focus back to sepsis, its recognition and its management, uh, and hope to reinvigorate the metrics uh, and uh, the protocols that are already in place uh, to help uh, sort of drive the numbers and, and uh, uh, ultimately the hope is better better treatment and outcome. Um, we had a root cause analysis of a case uh, in the ED uh, on February 1st of this year, uh, which was completed. Uh, one of the ongoing issues with that is the central line placement uh, protocol and competencies. There's still a group uh, working on updating AHS-wide uh, central line placement protocols, um, specifically relating to the uh, use of ultrasound and central line confirmation. Uh, more to come on that uh, in the coming month. Uh, and the uh, other item uh, that was a, a focus is on uh, respiratory care, respiratory therapy services, uh, quality and competency. There was a number of items highlighted by ED and ICU physicians. Uh, that we would we will hope to address uh, and uh, bring you more updates on next month. This is uh, specifically relating to standards of care, uh, especially entitled CO2 monitoring uh, and uh, uh, and their competencies. There, this uh, kind of ties into top areas of concern uh, that uh, I have uh, coming up next, um, and I, I'll, I'll mention that when we get there. 
Um, the top areas of concern are pretty much the same as uh, as last month's um, staffing equipment and uh, subspecialty consults at San Leandro Hospital. With staffing uh, in the ED, RNs, uh, case managers, and clerks are uh, uh, are critical. Um, we we still don't have a dedicated case manager in the ED, uh, and there's been more more and more cases in the ED that require. Uh, social work and case manager intervention uh, for placement uh, for patients that don't particularly meet uh, admission criteria but are not safe discharges that end up being uh, boarded in the ED for extended periods of time and that's really not the place for them uh, and so uh, hopefully later this month I'll be meeting with uh, with leadership to uh, come up with an action plan on, on how to address that. Um, equipment, uh, and this is what ties into the respiratory therapy uh, dialogue uh, earlier. Um, our monitors in the ED are from the 80s. They're very old. Uh, they don't have entitled CO2 capability. And so in order for us to do entitled in the ED, uh, we have portable monitors that are, uh, there's just one in the ED currently, uh, that we have to sort of uh, wheel around from room to room wherever we might need it. This is really not the ideal way to, to care for patients. Uh, the, these monitors have been on uh, on uh, budget requests previously, uh, and my hope is to uh, sort of uh, uh, reignite this uh, request with uh, with our with our uh, admin leaders on site. Um, I have not yet uh, submitted a new proposal, but I, I plan to do so in the next month. Um, and lastly, uh, the specialty consults, as I had mentioned last month, GI and cardiology, uh, I think are, are a priority uh, and an area that, that will need focus. Uh, teleneurology has been working out great. There's still some kinks to work out, uh, but it's it's been, it's been going well. Um, but uh, Cardiology, I think, is the next area that we will we will need to bring some attention to. Uh, NGI, uh, Dr. Bouquet, as you're aware, has been an, an ongoing issue. Um, that is all I have to report from San Leandro so far. Uh, and if there are any questions, I'm happy to take them now. Thank you, Dr. Afzali. Trustees, any questions for Dr. Afzali representing the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee? I saw Trustee Dong, then Trustee Banerjee. Hi, thank you for your report. Quick question. Um, you said you reported that you have, you do not have a social worker case manager. Is that what you said? Yes, we shared it with the with the inpatient. Okay. Do you but do you have a social worker versus a social worker manager? Not dedicated to the emergency department. Hmm. And are you finding it hard to comply with SB eleven fifty two without that social worker? Well, uh, we simply have to board them in the ED until somebody gets around to them, and that could be hours, uh, especially if it happened overnight. Uh, they simply end up boarding in the ED until the next day, uh, and generally it's not in the morning uh, that somebody's able to get to them because they have assignments on the floor that they have to address, uh, discharges and such, and then ED becomes uh, an area of focus. So it, mm -hmm. it's really not the ideal setup. Mm -hmm. So Trustee Dong, this is Mark Fratsky. I'm taking notes. I heard that comment and I'll be following up with um, him. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Fratsky. 
Thank you for that question, Trustee Dong. Any follow-up questions, Trustee Dong, or is that the main issue? Got it. Trustee Banerjee. Yeah. Um, thank you, Trustee Dong, for asking that question. That was exactly mine, and to also think that we, like, we we are just on the tenth of the month, so waiting until the end of the month, like you said, just didn't seem uh, right. So hopefully, this will be um, um, resolved much earlier than that. And the second thing, I just wanted to highlight, Dr. Afsali, you did mention that you have a sepsis protocol already and that it's been, but in uh, your the San Leandro Hospital sepsis prevention protocol that was there when Dr. Stephen Rosenthal was working was, was just like so extremely amazing that um, there were, uh, you know, uh, it was that protocol was being used across the system and learning from what you what the what San Leandro Hospital was doing. Good to see that there are good bones over there. It just needs uh, and that you know that that implementation part of it and paying intentional attention to it will be so. Um, wanted to bring that uh, highlight that San Leandro's Hospital's uh, sepsis prevention protocol use was really is really good. <coughs> Thank, yes, you, thank you for that comment uh, and agreed. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Dr. Zali, thank you for your presentation. What I heard uh, was largely unchanged. Your list of, of, of issues were staffing, um, aging equipment, and subspecialty consults. So thank you uh, for, for speaking up again on behalf of uh, your constituents. Uh, you. With that, uh, we will uh, close out with Dr. Ka There's Dr. Kathy Pion. Dr. Kathy Pion is the chief of uh, the medical staff for Alameda Hospital. Hi, Dr. Pion. Five minutes, please. Sure. Um, just want to skip over to the my list of concerns. I mean, uh, we discussed a lot of the credentialing and other issues uh, at QPSC. Um, similar to what I spoke to at QPSC, uh, access to subspecialists is uh, key for us. We're a small hospital. We don't have every, every subspecialty. So uh, we're working on cardiology. It's generally working pretty well right now. Cardiologists on the weekend is actually telecardiology using the, uh, the Highland cardiologists. And, um, you know, we're, we're familiar with those cardiologists and they're, they're doing a good job and uh, they're writing notes now, which is great. Before it was just a telephone consult with no notes. Now there's a note and we're hap much happier with that. So that's uh, a great improvement and working as, uh, as well as, as could be working. Um, Teleneurology uh, is you know, many times it does work well, sometimes not so well. We've had a few little issues. We're working out issues with um, Chief of Neurology, uh, Nathan Gaines, who, uh, you know, we just let him know if there's any issues we've had, uh, and he can bring it up with uh, his neurologists. And um, we've been seeing steady improvement, and we're hoping that that will continue to um, uh, work well. You know, I've been seeing some notes, and they're good notes, uh, good recommendations, and uh, I found it pretty easy to, to get in touch with a neurologist, actually, so and and and, and communicate. So um, even though they never physically uh, end up at the hospital or touch patients one-on-one, uh, -on -one per se, you know, it seems like they're doing a pretty decent, good job. Um, I just wanted to also mention just culture. I, I know Dr. Hussein has discussed this, and this is going to be, um, as, you know, something I want to carry forward at Alameda Hospital as well. I think that it's it's hard to point out mistakes or things that you could have done better, but I think that this is important to keep doing and to, to bring it up in a way to uh, to bring it. This is an opportunity for learning and to, for for teaching, 
and uh, it's for improvement. So, and we want to do it in a way that's uh, non-punitive. Um, and I, we think that this this kind of approach will continue to improve, just make us better and better every day. Um, and uh, we're we're, uh, we're fully in support of um, uh, you know improving quality all around. Um, uh, the third thing I wanted to mention was also the transfer process. Um, had a transfer center for a couple of years, and it was rocky at first, but it's gotten much better. Uh, the transfer center is on during the day, but not at night, and um, it's limited on the weekends, I think, or none on the weekends. So sometimes it's tough if you don't have the transfer center up and running and, uh, you know, on those off hours, and it can be rocky. Um uh, the transfers are very slow sometimes coming from Highland ED to our hospital. We've noticed there's a huge lag time from the time we admit, the, we, ask, we, we accept the patient and they show up. So we're, we, we've asked the transfer, we're going to ask the transfer council now to look at that. What are their numbers? What are their hours? How long is it taking from their point of view? Because from our point of view, it's really long. And um, patients are showing up very, very late when there's really less staffing at night than there is during the day. And we can much more accommodate patients better. Uh, if they come, if they're, you know, come earlier. Um, so that's uh, something I'd like to bring up. And another one more thing about transfer is that, um, you know, uh, we haven't had this happen recently, but there's going to be, a, it's going to happen once in a while where you have a patient that's crashing, not doing well, needs immediately, immediate transfer to Highland for something uh, that we don't have. And um, I'm not so sure if we're that nimble at this, at this process yet. Um, we haven't tested it lately, but I'm, you know, I want to make sure that we have a process that's really as, you know, to make it as expeditious as possible. And, um, it, a lot of things are about ICU beds and they don't have ICU beds and, you know, we could do it. We were talking about trades and things like that, trading patients. Um, and, uh, that's come up and that, you know, there's going to be a number of discussions and I'm happy to keep engaging and, and bringing out ways that we can, um, make, you know, make sure that we're, we're going to be faster, uh, we can be if we need to be fast. We can be fast in the, in those situations. We want, we don't want uh, quality to suffer just because a patient um, is at our hospital and not the place where they need to be. So those are my main main issues right now. That, you know, if anyone has any questions? Thank you, Dr. Pion. Trustees, any questions um, for Dr. Pion at Alameda Hospital? I'm going to throw this meatball to Trustee Jensen, who lives in Alameda. <laughs> Well, I don't actually have questions. I appreciate your report. Thank you, um, Dr. Pion. And, and I would ask that um, given the board transitions and everything, if we could have a presentation um, at one of our next upcoming board meetings about the transfer policy, about the implementation, how it's working, et cetera, I'd ask um, the CEO and the CEO to prepare that and present that. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. So. Trustee Jensen's making comment on to sort of, if you will, this uh, tracking items list. Madam Clerk, um, uh, I think the transfer center plays a really important role in quality, the the effectiveness and efficiency of our system. If we could uh, put that on our tracking list for perhaps a QPSC discussion, and then we'll determine if this that needs to migrate here to the full board. Is that acceptable, Trustee Jensen? Yes, it definitely is. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. Dr. Pion, as always, thanks for hearing from you. I'm uh, number one. I'm I'm, I'm, I know there was a lot of trepidation from many uh, when we when when uh, teleneurology was being contemplated. So um, hearing the feedback from Dr. Afzali and yourself is definitely uh, gives us some degree of reassurance. So we'll keep our eye on it. The transfer center 
this is this is complex logistical stuff. So it requires people who are interested. So thank you for being interested in uh, in this stuff because it's it's hard to move stuff through the system. Trustee Blue, did you raise your hand? Um, this oh, who who raised her hand? Um, Trustee Banerjee. Um, so thank you, Dr. Boone, for um, mentioning that instead of waiting to see how the transfer happens, that this could be something that was, you know, in anticipation of the time that you would need to have somebody go from Alameda to Highland to be able to do that. So that's that's really important. And I think as we are working through this, I'd love to hear much more instances of where you might be anticipating any of the other hospitals where transfers happening or other kinds of like shared privileges and things are happening where we might be able to like preempt things and, um, uh, you know, anticipate, do more anticipatory uh, planning and uh, working um, to, uh, to create more seamless um coordination across the system so thank you for bringing that up thank you thank you dr pyun thank you trustees with that we will close out item c i don't see any other hands although trustee dong still has her hand up from prior <laughs> um so we will close out item c and we will move to item d the committee reports we've allocated 20 minutes to this and there are one two three four five so uh, uh, each of the committee chairs will be expeditious in their report. Only the good uh, trustee Esteen was uh, vigilant enough to actually write out a report. Everyone else didn't put in as much effort as trustee Esteen <laughs> um, in, in writing that report. Um, one thing that I wanna comment on is uh, we've added uh, to this item, a new standing roster of all the committees and this is broken down by committee and trustees. So for the, uh, any of you who have access uh, to, the, to, to uh, this public document, uh, who's on which committee and which trustee does what is, is, will, will be a standing document here. Trustee Jensen. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. I just wanted to point out that we Hopefully, there's a committee that is not mentioned here, an ad hoc committee, which is the Alameda Healthcare District, the Alameda Health System Committee, that was formed um, about a year and a half ago, almost two years. And it, um, with the transition of the AHS board, that committee has um, is under discussion to be reestablished. So, um, hopefully, there'll be P one through six at some point in the at our next meeting. My apologies for that oversight, and um, we will we we will uh, I'll, I'll work with you to make sure how we do that because I all, with regard to the committee membership and all that is that acceptable? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, with that, let's uh, let's dive into uh, D1, the QPSC. Um, this was on February 24, 2021. I uh, chair that committee. Um, we started off with our two learning articles. There's a theme here with learning articles. Uh, the first was a, a Stanford decision engineer shares five mistakes people make when facing hard choices. The second article was entitled Engaging Health System Board of Trustees in Quality and Safety, Six Must-Know Guidelines. I encourage the trustees to read these articles and read them again. Uh, there's a lot of good gold in, in, in both of those articles. Uh, per standard, we approved policies and procedures and heard medical staff reports, approved credentialing, and of course, we heard from our quality division uh, with regard to safety, regulatory, and uh, metrics related to quality. 
While on the topic of quality, it's important to note two uh, important things. The, uh, and we've already made attention to this, but I'll do it again. The organization is currently executing a safety communication operational resist, operational risk resilience burnout survey. Uh, and that's the acronym SCORE, S-C-O-R. And this is of course to help us determine uh, our interpretation of safety and culture. Uh, it closes March 15th. Uh, our CEO uh, gave me a piece of data today which suggested that we weren't at the target uh, uh, so uh, I ask all uh, clinical leaders and, and, and organizational leaders to encourage their uh, people to fill out this survey because uh, this, this is all, all feedback is a gift, as I say, and uh, uh, this is an opportunity for people to provide feedback. Uh, the second item of interest related to quality is that uh, the Joint Commission uh, has given our organization the quote, go for survey notice uh, uh, beginning on March 15th. That's on Monday. Apparently the quote, go for survey notice is associated with uh, uh, the Joint Commission coming sometime within 30 days of that Monday, March 15th. So this has been moved up from what we've previously discussed. And my understanding from our chief quality officer is that this was done because we're relaxing COVID restrictions and they can probably put their teams on the road now. So note that this is gonna be a very big institutional priority sometime within the next six weeks or so. Um, further in, in the QPSC, we had a very deep discussion about the current state of non-GME related clinical education. It was, it, was a, it was a very robust discussion, I'll call it that. I'll note that subsequent to this meeting, our CEO and our COO have reorganized uh, uh, the governance structure of this, of, of clinical education back to nursing. Uh, and I think many of the trustees have seen, have seen that notification. Um, with that, I'll, I'll end my uh, QPSC report and open up to any questions, if any. Barring none, uh, were there any questions? Nope. Barring none, we'll move into item D2 the Finance uh, Committee report by Chair Esteen from March 3rd, 2021. Thank you very much, Chair Bouquet. Uh, disclaimer, I am not working harder than anyone else. I just <laughs> happened to take notes on the computer and put them into a report for submission and for the record. So the notes that are submitted are not comprehensive. They represent a summary of high points in the meeting. Um, all committee members were present, though Trustee Banerjee unfortunately has resigned her position on this committee. She's being replaced, however, by Trustee Blue, uh, which is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a loss and a gain. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll read just a few highlights from this report. Uh, Dr. Babaria gave us her very final report. Um, she's moving on to work with the state of California and will be replaced by the Vice President of Ambulatory Care, Catherine Horner. She'll be serving as interim CAO uh, of this uh, division. Um, we heard from our uh, CEO earlier about the changes from the state in reimbursement for telehealth, which I thought was a very important discovery that we learned about during this presentation, um, oh. which is that uh, video will be reimbursed at a higher rate than telephone visits. 
Um, currently, almost all visits within the HS system um, are happening either through video or telephone. Um, however, due to the digital divide, um, our patients may not have access to video in a robust way. Um, Trustee Splendorio offered a state-level comrade, Sonny Wright McPeak, who is President and CEO of the California Emerging Technology Fund, who might be of service to AHS. Um, and I think that what is being underscored by this decision from the state may exacerbate inequities due to the digital divide and is a classic example of health policy being written in ways that seem rational on their face but cause and create differences in outcomes based on real financial consequences and incentives to systems that implement policy and deliver care. Um, since uh, learning about this, I've had more conversations with folks in leadership um, and AHS is trying to overcome the digital divide with its well health program um, that will create texting bi-directionally without the need for a computer or a smartphone, which is wonderful initiative, but also that we have people in our population health division that are working with our partners at the California Association of Public Hospitals to lobby the state so that these uh, financial discrepancies can be shrunk. Um, it's really frightening to think that in 2021, our state leaders might bake into the cake of care uh, financial changes that could harm patients. So hopefully that will not come to pass. Uh, we heard many, many highlights about finances. Um, I'll just go quickly to our supplements uh, discussion. Our government reimbursement director typically manages supplements, but resigned last month and two people are currently taking her place. Uh, there is not an active search for her replacement yet because an assessment is underway uh, to see what the need for her replacement might be. Um, the California Association of Public Hospitals is going to provide a training for trustees, likely during our board retreat in April of this year, um, which will help us as trustees to be able to understand better waivers and supplements uh, so that we can do our job, which is that of monitoring and oversight um, because supplements are a big part of the budget and a big part of what makes AHS financially solvent. Um, and after ending the meeting, I reflected on some goals that I'd like our committee and our executive leaders to consider. And I'm really trying to follow the model of our board chair's lead, um, which is that acronyms should be avoided or at least explained. Reports can have targeted durations uh, the agenda that we have tonight has clear timing guidelines, which I think can help people understand uh, what to expect, and that the reports be given in plain English, also with a goal to reach and engage our community and not just our professional staff. And as always, consistent trustee participation in advance of and during meetings. And that is the end of my report. If there are any questions, I'll take them now. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. I enjoyed your, your five take-homes uh, and uh, thank you for that. And I, I think it's something for all of us to consider as we present.
With that, we will, I see no questions. With that, we'll close item D2. We'll go to item D3, the Audit Compliance Committee, um, Chair Fox. Uh, thank you. The, the committee met on February 17th. Uh, yes, sir, February 17th. It was the last meeting for uh, our uh, Chief of Compliance, Rick Kibler, who retired a week later, and Akemi Ren, uh, who has been Director of Compliance at this point, uh, should be Interim Compliance Officer. We had uh, reports on several uh, internal audits and compliance issues. The major ones that I think the board needs to be aware of is number one, there was an internal audit of our uh, procedure to deal with denials. That was a review of September and October accounts. And the conclusion of the, of the audit was that we have effective processes in place and there were no recommendations. So congratulations to the finance department on that because it's rare to see an internal audit with no recommendations. So we can be, uh, hopefully be comfortable about that issue. The other issue is uh, a self-audit that's being done on 340B accounts. 340B is a federal program under which hospitals can acquire pharmaceuticals at a very deeply discounted rate. Uh, but if they do that, uh, they are obliged to use a certain modifier in their billing. Uh, and Medi-Cal Medi claims that are sent out without what they call UD modifiers trigger a financial payment back to the manufacturers. Uh, and the audit showed that in September, nearly 30% of our Medi-Cal outpatient claims had no modifier. Uh, that number had improved to 13% in November. Uh, the work plan is to correct billing going forward and to rebuild and proper claims that, uh, that we've sent out in the past. Um, our, our audits have identified 47,000 claims without monitors, without modifiers historically, and we've made $2.1 million in settlements or are in the process of making $2.1 million in settlements. So this is a, a big issue. It's, it's a big risk area for the organization and for the board. And we need to be aware that, uh, that this is an ongoing effort. And I, I would say that we're not there yet in terms of uh, compliance with this requirement. It's uh, probably to a great extent, a system issue in addition to being a, a human issue. Uh, but I think we're, we're making progress, but we have a ways to go. Um, we had some discussion uh, about what the departments need uh, in the way of resources. Uh, Rick Kibler felt that we need someone who knows compliance and can work uh, the issues on a daily basis. In other words, you know, just a little bit more firepower in the compliance area. Uh, Kemi, stated that she felt we need some we need more subject matter expertise on areas like sniff ambulatory uh, compliance uh, ed etc and that we need more audit resources uh, i had suggested to them that they benchmark the size of our compliance and internal audit staff uh, versus other organizations which is a good way to make a case for our being understaffed if that if that actually is the case and with that, I'll conclude my report. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Uh, trustees, any questions with regard to the audit and compliance? Um, I think I saw Trustee Jensen, Trustee Jensen, and then Trustee Splendario. 
Tracy, uh, mute. It's not a Zoom meeting unless we have to say mute. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, my question, kind of a comment as well, is that um, the 340B issue has been going on for some time now, and so I, I would just, is it hard to hear me? I see continuing. Yeah, a little bit hard. The 340B issue has been going on for, for, since I've been on the board, um, probably about four, at least four to five years. And so I appreciate the attention to that, the continued attention now. And um, I just would like to, to say that, um, that, that also the, the resources, you know, addressing and, and, and benchmarking, especially with regard to 340B, what are other organizations doing? This program allows for recovery. Um, for both recovery as well as, um, you know, it, it improves the bottom line as long as you are getting the, the um, as long as you're properly invoicing and properly submitting claims. So I guess if we can just figure out what, how to proceed there at some point, that would be ideal. And I appreciate the attention to that. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Trustee Splendorio. Yeah, thank you, Taft, for the same issue. Uh, in hearing the report, the internal audit report, I, I, I got the impression, and maybe I'm wrong, that uh, there was a quite a bit of, of, of uh, personnel, of FE, um, FTEs um, used in audit, the audit process. And I, it just occurred to me while listening to that, why can't that process be automated? And I'll just, I just will put that as uh, hopefully I'll bring that back up uh, during the finance committee uh, if, it, if this issue comes back up. Is, why, is, is there a way to automate the audit process of, of that? And I don't know that it isn't, but uh, I don't know if our CFO is on the, uh, on the call that might be able to comment on that. I just got the impression, Alan, that when we were hit, that it was uh, there was th two or three people actually manually reviewing things, and I, I just got the. It, maybe I like said I heard it wrong, but it seems that's what I heard. Well, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, this is Kim. There's two different issues going on here. There's the modifier that's been missing. Uh, that that has been an ongoing issue, and I know that compliance is has had to spend a lot of resources um, following up on that. And then there's a second issue, which I talked about at the finance committee meeting, which is that we're holding fee-for-service Medi-Cal claims for 340B drugs. And that issue there is that there is a, a regulation that requires us to um, charge Medi-Cal fee-for-service at, at the acquisition price um versus what we would normally charge everyone else which is which is subject to a markup policy that we have so we were not aware of that regulation and so when we went to epic we mirrored the setup of our legacy systems and we got a letter from the state telling us we needed to to correct the situation and look and see if we were overpaid and so we are holding all of those claims. We're getting ready to release. We're doing the audit now. And that is what I was speaking of at Finance Committee. This other issue has been going on for quite some time. Um, I don't have an update on it for you tonight, but I can surely get one and bring it back to uh, Finance Committee. But we, um, 
we've calculated the overpayments. We've got a liability on our books. Um, and, but the issue that I can't speak to tonight is why we haven't been able to stop it from happening again. Um, this is Kinkini. Do we we do have a 340B oversight committee now in um, that meets regularly? Am I right? Correct. Can You're asking not about a board committee, but about a, uh, a, a yeah a staff a staff 340B oversight committee. Krim. Yes, we do. Um, we do have one, and I have not been to one of those uh, those meetings. Um, I don't know if we, we should have someone else on the call that could help me out here. General Counsel, uh, Mike Moy, can you let us know who's on the 340B Oversight Committee and if they're here in the room? Yeah, I can look. I don't know off the top of my head who all serves on that committee. It's, I, I believe I, that compliance is there, and I, I know some of my revenue cycle people participate. Uh, and as I did say, you know, it's the, it's the duplicate discounts that the state's worried about with that modifier, and we do have, have a liability in it. And I know in previous compliance meetings, we have been reporting out on this for some time. Well, I don't want to hold up, but if there's somebody there who could un answer Trustee Splendorio's question, um, who's on the 340B oversight, that would be good. Sorry. Sorry, I was taking notes on something. Are we done? <laughs> I last for the past yeah, 30 seconds. I appreciate it. I don't need a, a, a reply. I just, like I said, I've raised the issue. I'm sure we can talk about it at the next finance meeting. Okay. I don't want to put, you know, but no need to put anybody on the spot. We'll keep it on the agenda for the audit committee as well. Yeah. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Um, Thank you. With that, we will close item D3. We'll now go to item D4, uh, the uh, Alameda Health System Governance Evaluation Ad Hoc Committee. Uh, uh, this was on February 23rd, 2021. Chair uh, Dong, hi. Hey, everybody. Um, just, I'll be brief. want to thank everyone, uh, especially the ad hoc committee members, Trustee Bouquet, Banerjee, uh, and Esteen for helping to organize a very, I think, uh, successful um, meeting um, in the late February, February 23rd. And uh, it was very well attended for um this type of meeting and such short notice it, about 90 some odd to 100 people ultimately attended the meeting to hear um erica hear the trustees and erica murray and a big thank you to her the president of the california public hospital and health systems association and she presented three models of of uh public hospital systems and there really are i think everyone here's taft say there's only three models well, she presented those three models, and that those models are a public hospital system and in, in completely embedded in uh, public uh, county agencies. Uh, another is the public authority, 
which we are a public authority at AHS along with Kern County, um, and the public-private uh, model. And we had a healthy discussion. I really enjoyed and thank I thank everyone who provided voice um, to this discussion. Um, and as you know, I'll know that the county has uh, retained HMA to conduct a study on governance structures as it relates to AHS. And this study, as a reminder, uh, was, was um, initiated before this reconstituted board, and it seeks to um, observe and study what the best approach is in the delivery of our health system. And as a reminder, as Taft reminded us at the end of uh, our hearing, that we are not the decision makers. The Board of Supervisors will be the decision makers on the governance structure. And we are working in a very positive partnership with the county on this on this issue. It's a critical um, it's a critical action that we'll be taking about the future of the system and what it will look like. And I think everyone heard the varying opinions, some wanting the public system embedded uh, in public agencies, some wanting and uh, trying to understand the different models. It was a very healthy discussion, so I appreciated everyone's participation. Um, I also want to appreciate Mr. Jackson and his email to all staff encouraging them to provide their voice. I really, um, I think the committee enjoyed hearing everyone's voice. Um, and I also appreciate people who, who didn't necessarily want to be identified and just ask questions um, anyway to get clarification and to be part of the conversation. This, this journey that we're on is not long. Uh, we know that the county understands initially that the study will be completed in March. Well, probably not in March, probably in April now. And before we conclude this journey, we will have another public meeting of the ad hoc committee where I'm hoping that we will hear some preliminary uh, summation parts of their study uh, prior to it going to the board to get further voice and response and reaction and questions um, before this ad hoc committee and all of our stakeholders to get feedback. And that is my hope that we can do it hopefully at the before the end of March. Um, but uh, a big thank you to to everyone that participated. Um, I, I really want to also note um, for the record that um, in the Constitution, an appointment of this committee um, with um, Secretary uh, Treasurer Esteen, we have a potential Brown uh, Act situation. So I thank her for gracefully um, resigning from the ad hoc committee so that we may resume the business um, in accordance with the Brown Act. So I thank you for that, Trustee Esteen. Um, but I look forward to working with everyone. We still will meet, and we hope to have a public meeting again at the end of March. And that concludes my report, uh, Chair Bicat. Thank you. Trustees, any questions for Chair Dong? Thank you for your work, Dr. Dong. I mean, Trustee Dong. We will end, uh, uh, close item D4. And the last committee report is item D5, the interim CEO recruitment. We're obviously done with that part, but it's slash onboarding um, uh, ad hoc committee uh, chaired by Trustee Banerjee. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. Um, the 
um, interim CEO recruitment onboarding ad hoc committee. Um, it consists of Trustee Bukit, uh, Trustee Dong, Trustee Blue, and myself. Uh, we did not meet in February uh, for a specific reason that um, our CEO, um, James Jackson, was in his second, third week since he had joined. And what we had decided was that once he gets about four to six weeks to have his onboarding through that process, meet with both um, staff and leadership with each of the SBUs across all of the facilities and sites and get gets an idea of the scale and scope of um, the issues that we would be working on. He, he would be uh, working on his goals. We have goals for him. So our plan for this um, for this committee is A, to make sure that the, um, not just in the selection process that we were very glad to have um, the, um, James Jackson join, but the onboarding was um, smooth and that he was completely supported by the board to make the kind of necessary changes that need to be made at the leadership level to make sure that we are on the right track, um, that we uh, and bring an, a culture of a trust, uh, rebuilding trust both within our internal staff, we're working with the county and our very critical partners. Um, we one of um, um, who will we will be hearing from um, Alameda Alliance. So uh, just uh, rebuilding trust, building credibility, coming into this work with uh, uh, courage. Uh, this is not for the faint-hearted. Uh, with um, and then really resolving some of the issues that have been intractable and go going on for so long. So in the coming weeks, we will be meeting. This ad hoc committee will be meeting with um, Mr. Jackson, refining his goals and also um, having an um, an evaluation um, uh, a plan. Uh, that we will be completing um, in April. So watch out for some updates, both in the April meeting, but also in the um, uh, the staff, the board retreat that we will have in April. <laughs> and that, um, so the other thing that we, uh, that I want to mention is that part of this um, committee's uh, uh, role is also to create a roadmap for the search process for the permanent um, CEO. So uh, we cannot do that until we have a better sense of what the governance structure will be. So we were glad to again meet with Supervisor Chen this week. We have, we were working in, as uh, Trustee Dong said, working in good partnership with our county um, partners. And once we have, we'll be creating a roadmap of who, you know, even as we are working for what the um, uh, the governance restructure will be uh, creating a roadmap of like what should the search committee look like, who should it be so that we are ready to go once we have that happen. So more to be uh, shared at the um, April retreat. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustees, any, any questions or comments for uh, Chair Banerjee? Barring none, we'll close item D5 and that close out closes out item D. We're now going to move into the consent agenda item, item E. There are one, two, three, four elements in the consent agenda. The last one, E4, Echo 4, is a agreement with Abbott Laboratories 
to continue use of their consumables and reagents and maintenance through March 31st, 2028. I've been informed that there are uh, three uh, public speakers who would like to comment specifically on this agenda item. I've been watching Marge Cruz being very patient there. Hi, Marge. Um, um, Marge Cruz followed by Jonathan. I see Jonathan. And I've also told that Gabrielle was here, but I'm not sure I see her. We'll just start off, uh, we'll just start off with Marge then Jonathan, and then we'll see if Gabrielle's in the room. Um, uh, three minutes each, if that's appropriate. Uh, if, sorry, if that's acceptable to you. Marge, the floor is yours. I'm this all, everybody, this is again on item E4, the Abbott Laboratories contract. All three of these public comments is my understanding. Marge? Um, through the chair, oh, can I, can I um, a point of order? I wonder if we need to pull this item from consent before we have discussion on it. I, I think we uh, I think we can hear public comment on this, and then I'll ask if anyone would want to pull it, if that's okay with you. And and uh, so we'll just hear that, and then uh, as soon as they comment, I'll ask if anyone wants to pull anything. Thank you. Okay, uh, Marge, the floor is yours for three minutes, please. Good evening, everyone. I'm Margie Cruz, SLS at San Leandro Hospital Laboratory. Thank you all for this opportunity. I've been working with different machines in the past. And I must say that I really like Abbott Architect, our chemistry analyzer. However, we need to have a weekend contract in case there's a breakdown. We can call the hotline for the support to help us to troubleshoot the machine. Anything can happen on the weekend. If both machines are down, then we have nothing to use. We also need training on the quarterly maintenance. That's all. Thank you, Marge. Um, um, uh, on the same subject, Jonathan, please. Good evening, Jonathan. Oh, you're on mute, sir. Hello. Um, good evening. Good evening. And thank you for giving uh, me the opportunity to talk to all of you uh, tonight. Um, I just wanted to echo uh, Ms. Margie Cruz's concerns. Um, we, we, are in, we are working in San Leandro Hospital Laboratory. And um, our... Our thing is we enjoy the Abbott. It's it's a simpler uh, and more advanced um, machine compared to what we have before. However, uh, there will there will be some uh, differences uh, given the fact that our laboratory is not as big as the one in Highland or in Alameda, and we want just wanted to uh, be assured that uh, uh, there would be a frequent. Uh, uh, trainings or evaluations, more thorough uh, um, trainings, especially in the uh, in the areas of maintenance, so that uh, we could um, preserve the machine as as uh, long as possible without uh, um, uh, having any problems or uh, breakdowns. And um, my concern is that uh, sometimes. There are times, especially during the night shift or PM shift, wherein we don't have all the luxury of having um, uh, supervisors or other uh, personnel that could help us um, whenever something happens to these machines. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan, for your comment. Um, Gabrielle, are you in the room? Yes. Uh, uh, my name is, uh, can you hear me? Oh, yes. Sorry. You're listed as iPhone. I see it now. Got it. Yeah. Uh, my uh, name three is minutes, Gabriel please. Uh, I'm uh, the newest member of the 
San Leandro Lab, as a CLS. Uh, I agree with uh, Miss Margie Cruz and Jonathan. Uh, we need the uh, support uh, during weekends and uh, after 5 p.m. Uh, I think that's all I can say. Thank you for your comments, Gabriel. So um, we've now heard public comment. We're still in consent agenda item. So trustees, the consent agenda is before you, uh, before entertaining a motion to uh, approve uh, the consent agenda in its entirety. Are there any items that need to be removed for further discussion? Trustee Jensen. Um, I would like to pull one of the policies. I have a question about the COVID-19 vaccine policy. So you would like to pull the COVID-19 vaccine policy? So if there's no one else that wants to pull anything, I would move approval of the E2 policies and procedures and E1, the minutes from February 10th, Board of Trustees, with the exception of the COVID-19 vaccine policy. A second. Uh, uh, actually, hold on, hold on before I call for a vote. Uh, Trustee Esteen, you have some comments? Yeah, I'd like to pull item E4 that we just heard public comment. The Abbott Lab contract? Yes, I, I think that is appropriate. <clears throat> so so what I'm hearing, uh, sorry, uh, I, let me open up for any other trustees. I don't see any raising hand. What, I, what I'm hearing is a motion to improve, uh, to approve the entirety of the consent agenda item, the, sorry, the consent agenda, uh, with exception to pulling, one, the COVID-19 vaccine policy, and two, item E4. So moved. So um, uh, that was a motion. Uh, I guess I need a second. Second. Okay, uh, Madam Clerk, roll call. Chesty Banerjee. Aye. Chesty Bouquet. Aye. Chesty Blue. Aye. Chesty Dong. Aye. Chesty Esteen. Aye. Chesty Fox. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Aye. And Trustee Smondario said aye. aye. Thank you. Aye. Motion passes. Excellent. So we've approved those. Now let's do the breakouts. Um, first, uh, uh, the COVID-19 vaccine policy. It's in your packet, everyone. Trustee Jensen, may may we uh, entertain your question? Uh, sorry, may we uh, receive your questions? Thank you. And I um, see Dr. Swift is here as well. It's a really quick, simple question. I just wanted to know if we are um, doing any administration of COVID-19 vaccine right now at Alameda Health System. Sorry, is the question, are we administering vaccinations at Alameda Health System? Uh, yes, we are. And I will have more updates for you later on in the, in the, uh, in the, Meeting. Yeah, we're doing it about 7,500 times. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. I mean, I know we're having, everyone's getting vaccinated, but I didn't know since we have not had this policy before, if we were actually, our staff, clinical staff was actually administering the vaccines. Thank you. Trustee Jensen, any other questions or do any other trustees have any questions or comments on the COVID-19 vaccine policy? Barring none, may I enter? Sorry, I'll move, someone... I'll move approval of the policy. Thank you, sir. Uh, 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 Madam Clerk, roll call. It's Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Aye. <laughs> Thank you. Trustee Dong. Aye. 
Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Uh, last last item on our tack list is uh, the Abbott contract. I see at in attendance our uh, chair of laboratory sciences and pathology, Dr. Valerie Ng. Uh, doc, Dr. Ng, uh, hi, Dr. Ng, are you there? She's still in her office, always. Dr. Doc, Dr. Ng, um, um, you probably have an expertise in answering the public comment. Um, um, so, um, uh, sorry, uh, answering the questions revolving around the public comment. Could you help guide your board through some of those questions uh, towards a, so we can get satisfaction towards moving towards an approval? What I heard from Margie, Jonathan, and Gabriel, I heard two things. I heard you want more training on maintenance and I heard you wanted a backup contract service to be 24-7, um, and if not that available, to at least include the weekends. Mm -hmm. um, and so assuming those are the two items of concern, we can easily arrange for regular maintenance updates and training for you. As you know, your supervisor, Sam, is our subject matter expert on the mechanics of that instrument, and we will have him calendar regular updates with staff. In terms of increased service, this gets back to the contract, what we negotiated, the discussion around the cost of it, and that our current position was to not have 24-7 or weekend because our estimation is we have two instruments one serves as a backup for the other. And if both instruments are down, we do have a variety of other devices, not optimal, but they include our iStats to do basic chemistries. And it includes our other two laboratories through a courier service that can get us through the time period when we're down. 24-7 service contract is quite expensive. A weekend coverage is more expensive than what we've negotiated to date. Uh, we can talk about this later. My observation of the instruments outside my office is that they've been pretty reliable, right? You guys have been able to maintain them, keep them up and running since July 1 when we went live. Um, I do know our instruments at Alameda and at San Leon and at Highland have given us pretty flawless performance since 2016 at Highland and around 2017 at Alameda. Given that track record, it is our hope and expectation that the San Leandro instruments will be similarly reliable and predictable. I know you're coming off our previous instruments, the Siemens, which were finicky, unreliable, and in their last year of life, gave us all heartburn because the results every now and then would not be unreliable, jeopardizing patient care. I think we've come a long way since then. And let's talk about this. Thank you, Dr. Ng. So what I think I heard was that, that the training uh, uh, request would not materially impact the contract as stated. Uh, yeah. Number two, 
what I heard was the expansion to full 24-7 would materially impact the contract in, in cost. And um, You are correct. And the 24-7 coverage is not um, used at either of our other clinical laboratory sites. Again, that speaks to the reliability of this instrumentation. Thank you for your expertise, Dr. Ng. Um, uh, I, I, I'm willing to entertain a motion if trustees have felt that they have acquired enough information to make a vote on item E4. Can I ask a question for further clarification? Of course, trustee esteem. Is it possible to find out what the experience is when those machines go down, even if they're down one at a time at San Leandro where uh, these three people actually work? I can give you the experience from the Highland or the Alameda lab. Right, because we've been periodically down, either one of the two or at Alameda, we had um, both down for about eight hours yesterday because of a user error. Um, but the service is readily available by telephone. Um, I want to comment there's um, onboard uh, troubleshooting. The entire database is within the information systems of each of the devices. So there are a lot of tools to help us through. And then if one site is down, backup is always available from the other sites to assist with troubleshooting. Thank you, Dr. Is it possible to hear the experience about San Leandro? San Leandro's been live since July 1. We've not been down. Do the trustees, if any trustee feels that they can make a motion, if they have enough questions, Tr trustee esteem, do you feel like you have the data set you need? Uh, well, I was hoping I could hear directly from Margie, Jonathan, or Gabriel, their experience in San Leandro, if they've ever had any kind of issues with the machines, because they are asking for additional support. It seems like they're not, they haven't been getting the support. I'll let you ask the question, Trustee Esteem. Would either of you be okay with sharing what the experience is like if these machines go down on a night shift or in the weekend, if they have ever gone down? Um, uh, good evening. Um, so our experience with the, uh, um, with the Abbott machine was that uh, previously, there was um there was a glitch in one of the machines and um and that was i think a little over two months were in uh we started operating it but it was quickly it was quickly um recovered i mean um fixed however my concern is like um for san leandro like i said uh, earlier it's a small lab and we usually, especially in the night, uh, during the night shift, we, all, we only have one uh, CLS staff working on both machines. Uh, we are little, uh, we are a little lab compared to the Highland and um, Highland has more experience than we have right now. And that's why um, if we were trying to ask for either we have a um, a weekend weekend uh, service wherein we can ask in cases wherein uh, one oh, machine would uh, break down because um, sending it 
to another lab, another hospital, uh, especially for stat uh, testing, would require, would require our turnaround time to be extended. I know that uh, it's still, uh, that's acceptable. However, if uh, we are if we if we wanted to have a better performance in our lab, then uh, I would probably ask for either uh, retrain, especially retraining, especially uh, in the areas of maintenance, or either have a service, or probably even training and evaluation on a regular basis, so that we would know better how to uh, operate these machines. I mean, these machines. A machine is only as good as its operator, and we wanted to be able to be very proficient, very efficient in um, maintaining, operating these machines. Thank Trustee, you. I'm sorry. I do. Sorry. Trustee, Trustee, this is Mark Fransky. It sounds like um, it sounds like there's two to three different levels of um, redundancy. Um, from a backup machine to a call to Highland, um, et cetera. And it's sounding a little to me like it might be um, uh, an educational issue in terms of how do I walk through these different levels of redundancy so in case something does go down versus more of um, a maintenance coverage issue. Right, right. And hi, everybody. This is Faye Seychow. I'm the admin director for the uh, AHS laboratories. And first and foremost, I wanted to personally thank my staff, Margie, Jonathan, and Gabriel um, for coming on to speak regarding Abbott. Um, it's definitely, it definitely shows a tremendous amount of dedication and, and uh, a lot of patience and, 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 and waiting through to be able to speak. So I do um, really appreciate that. I do want to echo that um, that the Abbott system does have different layers, uh, redundant mechanisms for troubleshooting. Um, it does, as, as Dr. Ying spoke, uh, alluded to, there is definitely, um, there's there's a hotline there's uh, that helps with regular troubleshooting. There is a software with videos to walk through um, errors and how to resolve different errors. And of course, we have um, the backup analyzer on site at San Leandro as well as our other laboratories. Um, what I think is needed and what I'm hearing loud and clear from my staff is that they would like some more education. And that's something that I will wholeheartedly take on. Um, I have personally worked with troubleshooted these Abbott analyzers um, for about 10 years now because we had them at Highland in 2010. So I'm very familiar with them. I'm well-versed in them, and I will definitely take that on as, as um, uh, personally to definitely give ensure that my staff know what tools are available to them um, and definitely give them the education that they need to be able to utilize these tools effectively. Okay. Okay, thank you so much for it. And I'll, I'll ask this question that I asked to Dr. Ng, and I think the answer will be the same. This training can occur without uh, without change in the contract as presented. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Um, I'll ask trustees again whether they have the data to make a motion on the approval of contract item E4. I think we do now. I appreciate uh, the attention of every leader who has spoken up and, and heard the ask for assistance from our Thank staff. I, I, so I'd I, like I, to make the motion. 
that Thank we you, approve this contract. Do I have a second? Second. Um, uh, roll call, um, Madam Clerk. Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Dong. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Yes. Trustee Splendoria. Yes. Thank you. The motion passes. Um, thank you. With that, we'll close the uh, before closing. I'm going to give again. I'm going to reiterate with Trustee Esteem. Give appreciation to Dr. Ng, uh, Faye, Jonathan, Marge, and Gabriel. I mean, uh, the, oh, uh, I consider two services intercalated services in our system that span all the other clinical services: radiology and laboratory. Um, everyone uses all these services. They, they they are the intercalated services. They're the backbone of our system. So. I'm glad they're a resource. So thank you to all of you. We, we will close out the consent agenda item and boy, now we'll move on to the marquee item uh, F. Um, uh, we have three items here. I'm gonna, uh, uh, and, and it says 50 minutes, it's 722. We have an approximately one hour closed session for the board members. I'm gonna uh, uh, chop uh, item F3 down to about two minutes when I make comments. Um, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Dr. Jamaluddin and Dr. Swift to give a briefer version of the COVID-19 update because we're going to be hearing that again. And I'm going to give the marquee to Mr. Scott Coffin, the CEO of Alameda Alliance, an essential partner to us. And boy, Mr. Coffin's been waiting patiently uh, since the beginning. So hi, Scott. Welcome to us. And um, uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Good evening, uh, Dr. Paquette, and good evening to uh, Board of Trustees, uh, Mr. Jackson, and the uh, Alameda Health System team. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. It's not Microsoft Teams, Scott. <laughs> I know I'm going to, I will get there. I'm just uh, finding the right, there we go. Nice. Okay. All right. Excellent. I think that's presenting okay. There we go. Okay. Well, uh, uh, again, uh, Thank you for the opportunity to uh, to be here tonight at the uh, Board of Trustees meeting. Uh, had an opportunity to uh, to get to know some of the, the trustees, and I look forward to at some point uh, meeting meeting each of you uh, and having a chance just to, to talk and and understand more about some of the areas and of focus that you see for the hospital and really. Uh, ways for Alameda Health System and Alameda Alliance to continue its partnership. Uh, we work together many years as organizations. I've been part of Alameda County uh, now for about the past eight years and the past six years have been uh, serving uh, Alameda Alliance for Health and uh, really uh, part of the safety net uh, family that's in the community of Alameda serving so many people uh, that 
um, it's an honor to be part of, of, of this group. So with that, um, I have some information tonight to share with the trustees in regards to some information about Alameda Alliance uh, and a little bit of history about uh, the utilization really of, of the members that are enrolled within Alameda Alliance and how they access uh, Alameda Health System Services. And then I'm gonna shift a little bit and talk about some of the trends that are happening in Medi-Cal today because uh, primarily 98% of, of the work we do at the Alliance is, is serving Medi-Cal. And the other 2% is uh, serving uh, Alameda County uh, in home support and services workers, the IHSS workers, uh, and uh, through a contract we have with Alameda County. Um, so I'm gonna talk a little bit about Medi-Cal enrollment trends, uh, talk about Medi-Cal managed care, what's happening this year and what's happening next year and beyond and then talk a little bit about quality. And uh, the Q&A is at the end. However, if there are questions along the way, um, I thought this might be a little bit more conversational. Dr. Paquette, in terms of uh, timing here, uh, about 15 minutes, would that uh, help? Yeah, yes, sir, that would be great if you could uh, to open this up for dialogue. Certainly. All right, so a little bit about uh, Alameda Alliance for Health. Uh, we are a, a public health plan that was formed by uh, the Alameda County Board of Supervisors in 1996. Uh, we currently have 280,000 members. And as I mentioned earlier, 98% uh, is Medi-Cal. So we are a Medi-Cal managed care health plan. We also have a commercial line of business, which is group care. And uh, both of these products uh, and, and enrollment in both of these programs uh, is served by Alameda Health System. And uh, we have 340 employees and over 7,000 uh, contracted providers in our network. And I'm, I'm proud to say uh, the, uh, the, the partnership with Alameda Health System and Alameda Alliance is the closest of all the relationships that we have. And you'll see in some of the, the data that I'm gonna show to you why that is. Um, from a revenue perspective, uh, you know, this year with the increased enrollment in Medi-Cal, uh, as, as you've seen nationally, Medicaid programs, they've been growing uh, uh, in, in part due to the economy, uh, major part, but um, about 1.2 billion in revenues. Uh, we process about 1.4 million claims per year and we pay in about 19 days. So we've worked very hard to create that turnaround time uh, on payment of claims and do it in an accurate way because we know it's 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 about cash flow and keeping the operations going. With all the changes that have happened in the Medi-Cal program, specifically uh, the rate reductions that have occurred over the last uh, 12 to 18 months, um, that combined with increased medical expenses, we are forecasting a $9.5 million net loss this fiscal year. So our fiscal year and your fiscal year are the same and that is their mid-year fiscals and so we're getting ready to wrap up uh, this fiscal year in the next five months but that's where we're forecasting right now uh, we are ncqa certified which is uh, an accreditation for quality uh, and over the past uh, six years we've we've moved the the heatest scores uh, you know, um, in an upward fashion and following uh, uh, a bit of advice I heard earlier in the meeting here, um, I've limited my presentation to just a few acronyms. And uh, so, and I will, I will do my best. It's almost impossible sometimes, it's kind of a, a running joke to try and do it without any acronyms at all, but um, we seem to live by those. So 
Uh, but HEDIS has a very long definition of, you know, a, a scoring mechanism used to, to gauge the quality of service. Um, very proud to say, though, over the past six years, uh, we've had a 38% improvement in our score. And this is really a reflection of our providers, you know, our caregivers, our physicians that are doing the work. Uh, we don't take the credit here. This is credit to our caregivers. Uh, of improving these scores. Our job is to show the results, and that's part of what we do uh, as an organization. And then lastly, uh, focusing in on regulatory compliance and uh, with a, with a uh, intentional approach to health disparities, because I think there's a lot of shared um, focus and energy that, uh, and a lot of great ideas around how to execute and, and really target in some of the health disparities and make a difference. So that's a little bit about the Alliance. Um, so shifting gears, Alameda Health System. Uh, today, there are over 50,000 members that are assigned uh, to Alameda Health System. These are individuals that are enrolled uh, in the Alliance. And then we have set up an arrangement in past years where a capitated payment is made to Alameda Health System for primary care services. And this was done in, in prior years uh, through the uh, Prime Initiative and that was the payment reform initiative that was sponsored through uh, Department of Healthcare Services. And so uh, there's some statistics here in regards to how the, the age ranges, 18% under 19, 75% are between 19 and 64 years of age, and then 8% are above 65. In terms of annual revenues and, or what we pay for services each year, it's somewhere between 100 and $120 million for inpatient, outpatient, and emergency room um, uh, visits, as well as primary care services. And this includes some of the ancillary services that Dr. Biquette mentioned that are so important, the lab radiology um, uh, among, the, among the other uh, outpatient services. Alameda Health System represents 30% of the total inpatient utilization. And so to put that in context, there are about 3,000 people that were admitted and about 14,000 paid days, and that averages about 4.7 days in length of stay, and 27,000 emergency room visits. This too is about 25% of our total emergency room visits countywide. So a big part of uh, the Alliance's uh, operating model, you know, depends on Alameda Health System, and vice versa, you know. So Medi-Cal, Medi-Cal has grown uh, over the last year. We've seen all the changes with the uh, pandemic. Uh, we've seen, you know, the economic impacts on so many of our friends and family uh, that have experienced uh, the impact of either losing a job or being laid off and <clears throat> having to go and, and, and file for Medi-Cal in, in the county. And we've seen the numbers grow uh, uh, every month. Um, that trend is starting to, to slow down a little bit and in, in uh, the enrollment process for Medi-Cal is handled by uh, the Alameda County Social Services Department. We work with the, the agency to make sure that the connections between those that get enrolled in Medi-Cal and, uh, and those that en enroll into the Alliance um, is a seamless process, but the process is, is at the county. We've seen 30,000 uh, new enrollees and a majority of those are childless adults that are that are uh, entering into the system that were uh, eligible through the Affordable Care Act. And so the 
the decline of this enrollment in this chart here shows you a concentration of where the membership is. 40% live in the Oakland uh, vicinity. Whereas when you move down, move down the line there, you see 18 uh, or actually 15% down in Hayward, 9% in Fremont and so on. About 81% uh, live in these cities here and then we have uh, the rest that are in different parts of the county again the east part of the county has the least of the membership and lastly governor newsom signed an important executive order in 2020 suspending the annual redetermination process and so what that means is uh, in alameda county each year uh, people that are enrolled in medi-cal are redetermined to determine whether the eligibility is is still valid and uh, the executive order uh, postponed any cancellation of those enrolled in medi-cal and so what we're seeing right now is in this uh, in the uh, 30,000 that have been enrolled some of those individuals actually are part of that group that were, were redetermined but not disenrolled so we know there's going to be some level of, of uh, reduction in membership once Governor Newsom uh, removes this executive order I have two more slides and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pause and ask for any questions. Um, some of the things that are happening right now, current priorities, obviously supporting the vaccine coordination. Uh, we are a partner with Alameda County um, Healthcare Services Agency, obviously with Alameda uh, Health System on sending notifications out. We've been working on uh, member outreach uh, since we have a large uh, volume of the residents here in Alameda County, we've been supporting with communications, communications that help people to define where do they go to uh, get, in, get a vaccine. Um, and so this is work that we've been uh, doing over the last uh, month to two months, as well as we're gonna continue for probably the next six to eight weeks. And, and again, continue following the, the leadership from Alameda County uh, Healthcare Services Agency. Medi-Cal, amongst all this change, is going through a tremendous uh, standardization effort. So the Medi-Cal benefits are changing this year as well as next year and going all the way through 2027. And the change is really about addition of new benefits as well as integration of existing benefits. In California, we've done a, a really uh, efficient job of, of, of creating uh, carve-outs and, and other uh, ways of segmenting services and now we have an opportunity to to bring it together and the, the whole person care initiative and the health homes program both of those programs were very important in Alameda County in tying together and integrating more of these services housing uh, the 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 hospital services the primary care services bringing these in case management as well and uh, we have an opportunity coming up here in January of 2022 where these programs that were funded through uh, state waivers, uh, federal waivers actually, um, are retiring. And so we have new benefits and new services that are starting up in January. So we're working right now on that uh, initiative uh, with Department of Healthcare Services in partnership with Alameda County, uh, in partnership with Alameda Health System and uh, Community Health Center Network and many others in, in the community on building these services out. Uh, it has taken a lot of work to get this done, but I appreciate the partnership because we have a, a great group of people that are, that are uh, really on the same page. Um, 
There are also uh, development of shared savings and incentive programs coming. There's, there's limited detail that's available right now on this, uh, but the, the Department of Healthcare Services has announced that they're gonna be um, funding programs in 2022 and beyond. And it's gonna have a multi-year effect uh, that will allow uh, groups of safety net providers as well as non-safety net providers to, to identify savings by working together and sharing those savings. And I'm very excited about, about this, uh, this program that's coming. Uh, integration uh, for dual eligibles, those that have Medicare and those that have Medi-Cal. That duly eligibles is a very important population. We have about 18,000 uh, individuals that are enrolled that fall into this category, but we don't have the means right now because we're not a Medicare organization to fully case manage uh, like we need to. And I'm excited, uh, you know, I'm talking with my board uh, this Friday and, and we've been talking about the future strategically about expanding where the Alliance serves to include Medicare. And this is exactly where the state is moving. And then lastly, continuous improvement of service quality measured by HEDIS. It's a continuous job every single day. And then this is just a quick snapshot of the, the quality scores uh, this will be your last acronym, I promise. Uh, but uh, HEDIS, the HEDIS uh, is a statewide uh, and national measure. Uh, in in uh, the state of California, it's measured by the Department of Healthcare Services uh, on a very specific uh, set of metrics that they, they, they track to, and it's called AQFS, an Aggregated Quality Factor Score. This is an example of what has happened over the last six years. We see in 2020, measurement year 2020, we all know what happened with the elective uh, outpatient procedures, the, the, the reactions you know, to the virus, um, you know, people staying in, following the public health order. So a lot of the elective procedures dropped off. It was replaced with tele, telehealth, but we don't know exactly what the net impact is gonna be. But so far we're seeing somewhere in the neighborhood of a drop of 29% uh, um, from last year. And this is gonna be the same story in Contra Costa County, uh, Santa Clara County, and all the other counties in the state. There's gonna be some reduction on HEDIS scores. And with that, I will pause and ask for questions. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for that, for that intro. And obviously we're gonna be hearing from you again and again and again, such a key relationship. I'm gonna open this up for any trustees encourage trustees to ask questions. Uh, you know, Scott gave us some good data there. 100 to $120 million of the till comes from Alameda Alliance. So I think they have to be characterized as an essential partner. Uh, and um, I see uh, Trustee Fox raising his hand. Uh, thanks for your uh, presentation. Uh, I'm just wondering what your I think it's the managed Medi-Cal in the county is just uh, the Alliance and Blue Cross, if I'm not mistaken. What it, so what is your, what, what is the percentage of Alameda County Medi-Cal members who have managed care? And what, and of that percentage, what's your share versus Blue Cross share? Yeah, the, the, the uh, there are about 330,000 uh, individuals that are eligible and enrolled in Medi-Cal managed care. Alameda Alliance has pro approximately 82% and Anthem has about 18%. Okay. 
trustees. I see Trustee Banerjee. Yeah. Um, thank you, Scott. Uh, I had two questions. One in the integration of the Medicare Medical that you said that the potential happening would that uh, have possibilities for expanding the behavioral health, um, you know, um, uh, SMI population or others that we are seeing that you know have a tendency to be the most vulnerable among the um, vulnerable among this vulnerable population? So better coverage for that. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, excited about the opportunities and, and we've been talking, I see by the, the list of attendees here, we have uh, some representatives from Alameda County uh, Healthcare Services Agency. And we've, we've been talking with, uh, with HICSA for, for years uh, and about where and, and how to integrate uh, the, the mental health services, the benefits delivered through Medi-Cal have, have been a challenge, I think, for, for everyone, including the patients, to navigate. And so the goal, one of the goals is going to be to work uh, in partnership with Alameda County to integrate these services together. And uh, it's going to take, uh, I think, the, the mild to moderate benefit as it's administered. And, and we want to, you know, think about ways to combine that with the severely mental ill to make it a seamless experience for, for the patients and, you know, have better quality outcomes. Thank you. Absolutely. I mean, the mental health crisis is just uh, is is a parallel pandemic that's happening. And if anything, that continuum of care has to be strengthened during this time. So anything that can do it. Um, secondly, uh, what's really exciting about the governance restructure, any plan that, you know, that HMA proposes to the county and the county adopts, one big element of it is going to be better integration of county hicsa uh, uh, community ahs alliance so that is a given no matter what the governance structure happens so that that's really really exciting because part of like the some of the heady the health equity committee that we are working uh, has been about building better linkages with our partners um outside as well so a to be proactive about what might be those opportunities. So hopefully like when we will be hearing about that and to our continued conversation about how that might be. And the second thing I wondered is that the, the allocation of patients that we have through the Alliance, we actually see a fraction of those, right? Because there is there are some that come to us and then there are a whole bunch of who are allocated, assigned to us, but they don't actually access the primary or healthcare system. So now mm. given the fact that we might be having telehealth and other things and we might be able to, how are, they, are there um, plans that, and we, especially with all the deferred uh, medical uh, treatments that folks have had, even checkups and things over over this. Is there any plan for us to be more, you know, coordinating that and reaching to the harder to reach population and trying to get them? And I know that that's something that internally we should be asking too. But I wanted to know why we have you. You're wanting to know how might we, you know, maximize that that, that population that is in our caseload, but we do, are not mm -hmm. reaching. Yeah, so thank you, uh, Trustee Banerjee. Um, yeah, so to, to, the, to, to the question around, you know, increasing the utilization for those that are assigned 
to Alameda Health System today. We, we have been in talks and we're going to continue talking and, and looking at the data, but really taking that data to figure out how can we turn that into action and increase, you know, the, the utilization in getting those primary care visits up. Um, there's, op there's tremendous opportunity to do it. And in fact, uh, the executive teams from Alameda Health System and Alameda Alliance met earlier today uh, and we're going to continue meeting. Uh, we have our clinical teams uh, that are meeting together. Uh, I see Dr. Jamaluddin on the line here, you know, and, uh, and, and, and my clinical teams meeting to talk about the uh, opportunities to get more people into the, the you know, uh, primary care centers for those wellness visits because they are meaningful. There's also opportunities to look at how to improve quality. And I think that's where the, both our organizations can, can continue working on partnerships to get that done. Uh, there's, there's work involved uh, to get it done. And, uh, but I think coming together with some ideas, uh, we can make that happen. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, Trustee Dong, then Trustee Spandorio. Um, can you hear me? Okay, there yeah. you go. Mm -hmm. um, well, thank you, Mr. Coffin, for your presentation. It was very inspirational. I appreciate it. I wanted to ask you uh, a broader question. Um, what Right now, what is the a strategic plan? What is the strategy for the Alliance? What do you hope to achieve strategically in the next year or two? Well, this is a this is a the same question I'm in uh, uh, in discussions with with my board of governors right now. Uh, our strategic plan uh, has uh, uh, completed for the first three years, and we're at a turning point right now, and and looking at the next two to five years. Um, our mission and, and vision, you know, are really focused in on uh, serving residents here in Alameda County and improving quality of life for everybody that we serve. Um, I think, and we do that, we depend on our partnerships that we have in Alameda County with our providers to get that done. Um, so I'd, I'd like to come back actually at a, a later time if, if, uh, if the door is open uh, to, to uh, share with you, um, uh, you know, where we're headed, you know, strategically. Uh, I can tell you in short, you know, there's so much change happening right now with the Medi-Cal program and given that 98% of our, both our revenue and our expenses are related to Medi-Cal, we are focused on adhering to all the new policies that are being implemented over the next five to seven years. So we do have a roadmap uh, that I'm happy to share at a, at a later point here. I can send it out, but we've, you know, laid out where the, the, the key changes are happening in the Medi-Cal program and the intersections with Medicare, as I mentioned, uh, and positioning the Alliance to be part of that uh, and, to, and to be a partner in, in the community and driving the change. Okay, thank you. We look forward to hearing back from you. Yeah, thank you. Trustee Splendorio. Hi, Scott. Um, Hello. Can I, um, of the, the 280,000 members, are they all Alameda County residents? Uh, uh, yeah, high majority are. We we have uh, some a very small percent. Uh, some uh, example would be foster children that are in you know enrolled and and as we know what happens unfortunately with foster children sometimes they they move around and so we have some that are not in in the county but for about ninety nine percent are all in Alameda County. So, the Alameda Alliance for Health provides coverage for about 
a fifth or a sixth of all residents in Alameda County. Is that correct? That is correct. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, Thank you. Okay. That's, I just, I want to get an order of magnitude. I, yeah. Yeah. Some of the, some of the the data that we've looked at approximately 25% of residents that live in Alameda County are eligible and enrolled in Medi-Cal. There's, in Medi-Cal, there's two two uh, two parts. There's the Medi-Cal managed care enrollment, which is the majority, and that has about 330,000 uh, uh, people enrolled. And then there's also the Medi-Cal fee for service, uh, and which you know has somewhere between 40, 50,000 enrolled. Uh, and they're enrolled in fee for service for a reason. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's an impressive number in terms of the percent of our population. Do you have a comparison in other uh, in other counties? Is there something like you in any other county? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's there's many examples, um, you know, that I could I could share in terms of the the uh, percent of of uh, people that are served in the Medicaid programs, uh, you know, in relation to the public plans. And so I, I'd be happy to provide uh, some background material for you to read. No, I just, like I said, I'm just curious if there's, if this is unique to Alameda or if, there, if it exists elsewhere. No, it, it really... is elsewhere. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's mm-hmm. all the questions I have. Certainly. Trustee Splendorio, I liked your question about kind of scale and the, the scale of when you, when we examine this is sort of, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, sadly, I had not prior to, you know, my position on the board under appreciated the scale of this relationship you know at 100 to 120 million dollars we're really talking about practically the equivalent of measure a to us you know uh in terms of dollars and so this is big big stuff which is why we wanted scott to come and he'll of course come again and again and again scott um i guess my question is what what would you see as the easy wins to improving the relationship between alameda alliance and alameda health system what are the what are sort of the no-brainer, easy wins that we could, you know, pull off? Well, you know, there there, there are four four areas that that we focus in uh, operationally within within the alliance. Um, I mentioned earlier on the claims processing. We work very hard to turn around claims um, uh, quickly and pay accurately, uh, and and that's a tough job. It's you know yeah. we're talking a lot of uh, and I was listening earlier to the results of, of the audit, you know, that uh, we have the same, we have the same situation, you know, where we work very hard on the claims processing, but that's always an opportunity to, to, to build and grow. Um, discharge planning, you know, case management. Um, I mentioned earlier with the whole person care initiative, which in Alameda County, it's called AC3, uh, very important program. And in uh, getting getting those individuals who are eligible enrolled in those programs is meaningful, and it has it's had really effective health outcomes, positive health outcomes. But I think working together on case management, on case management solutions, tying that into the to the to the utilization uh, work that uh, and management and discharge planning work that's going on, um, regulatory compliance. Uh, we we uh, we operate as organizations. We have. Uh, a lot of oversight we have to, to be mindful about. And, in, in, you know, the more compliant you are, the, the, the more efficient your operations can actually be. And I think working, you know, working together there is a tremendous opportunity. And then, you know, quality improvement. We can always strive to work on how to improve quality. Um, I think it, it you know, uh, matches both the missions of both of our organizations. 
uh, very well. So yeah. Those are four areas. Scott, so, so you know, I, I'm, I'm a big list guy, so I love lists. Um, I guess my question, and I, apologies if this is an in the weeds question, mm -hmm. for claims process, do you feel like you have the right, do you know who the people to talk to? And, and this might be in the weeds for you, so apologies. Do you know who the counterpart is here to do to to drive that? Yes. Yeah. No. Okay, we're we're in the weeds all the time, um, so not a problem. Yeah, we do. And in fact, uh, you know, it's it's one of the areas that uh, Mr. Jackson and I and, and teams, you know, um, um, have have talked already. As I mentioned, talked earlier, um, and uh, and yeah, we have the contacts between our organizations on on those. You know, who's submitting the claims and how that works. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess the same question for the other three, discharge planning, regulatory compliance, mm -hmm. quality improvement. Do you feel like you have the appropriate partners on our side yeah. of the equation? Absolutely. Okay, it's, been a, it, it's been a very active partnership. Uh, and and uh, I, I look at, you know, how um, people participate, you know, and we look at the relationships that we have with, with other hospital systems in the area. And there's, there's none that compares to how we work together with Alameda Health System. And, in part due to the due, due to the uh, utilization that I shared with you, we 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 as organizations need one another so uh, very much. And so now we've had a, a very positive uh, partnership. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Uh, Scott, um, you said that uh, AHS is paid on a per member per month basis, and is that both for inpatient and outpatient services? That, um, that is for primary care services at the four uh, health centers. And then we pay on a uh, 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 service basis for inpatient and other outpatient services. So, so, we're, so our hospitals are not at risk, not taking capitation on the inpatient side. No. It sounds like the, it's the yeah. physicians who are capitated, not the hospitals. Yeah, Alliance, Alliance carries the risk on all that inpatient uh, outpatient as well as uh, pharmacy and other services yes good i'm relieved to hear that <laughs> yeah i i think i saw trustee jensen's hand but i'm not sure trustee jensen no um uh, uh as as we're coming close to time i want to i want to give opportunity to our ceo and our coo and our cmo to make any comments uh uh so please the three of you uh go for it um, it, thank you. It, it's James, and I will just reflect on what Scott shared. He and I have spoken on a couple of occasions. We did have our first joint um, operational meeting again today, and there were, I thought, a lot of good takeaways. Um, one of them was that we we're going to create a very clear matrix of, to your point, Chair Bouquet, you know, who's responsible, what are the committees, and who is the point person who's responsible within each organization so that you know, Scott said it, there has been a good working relationship, but we're going to be really clear about who's responsible, who's got the operational point. And so we just think there are opportunities to just continue to sharpen the knife to enhance the work that's already underway. So I'm excited about the relationship. Scott's a, been a great partner so far, and I'm looking forward to working with him to just enhance this relationship. Thanks, Mr. Jackson. Jackson. Mr. Fratsky, uh, Dr. I <clears throat> Yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add. Hi, Scott. Um, good to good to good to see you again. Um, I'm glad you have the connections. That's really really good. Um, I'm most interested in how are we doing, um, you know, and and are we moving things forward expeditiously and getting things done? So 
I think at some time at some time here, you and I can connect up. I appreciate knowing the four areas. I think we can continue to help in all of them. So, so thank you. All right, thank Thanks, you. Mr. Fransky. Dr. J. Thank you, thank you, uh, Trustee Bouquet. Uh, Scott, it's good to see you again. Uh, I just want to uh, mention uh, something very briefly. I want to congratulate you on building a fantastic team, honestly. And uh, you have really a very strong team, and I have seen how the relationship has improved over the past three years. Uh, and it is really reflecting in in the quality. You know, unfortunately, with the COVID-19 impact, our heinous measures are impacted, but we're going to come out of this stronger. Thank you, Thank Dr. Scott. Thank you, Dr. Jamaluddin. Yeah. Scott, uh, I enjoy our conversations that we have, and we're going to keep continuing them, and we'll certainly be inviting you back. We really appreciate it. Um, I appreciate thank you so much. Great, with that, thank we you. Will, with that, we will close item F1 and we will do item F2, a COVID-19 update. Uh, this is a, a tag team with Dr. Swift and Dr. Jamaluddin. Uh, I, I will humbly ask you to look at the hour that I haven't managed well. It is eight o'clock. If we could do this in about five minutes, Strive for it. That would be great. <laughs> so, Taft, I, I really have uh, little to add. Uh, Mr. Jackson has given uh, a wide uh, a wide account about where we are. I just want to make a quick comment, like at the level of public comment, that uh, tomorrow, March 11th, marks the WHO announcement of uh, COVID-19 as a pandemic. So it has been a year. But uh, I want to mark by the end of 2020, more than 83 million Americans were having trouble meeting bills or buying food. And by January 2021, 30 to 40 million Americans were at risk of eviction because they could not make their rent payment. So this crisis uh, hit women and people of color the hardest because they tend to work in face-to-face -face jobs which did not translate to remote work and because the loss of childcare drove women out of their workforce. Uh, you know, around the same time, we have seen the Wall Street uh, numbers increase tremendously and the huge disconnection between the Main Street and the Wall Street. And, uh, you know, we have to ask ourselves the question with what we have seen with structural racism and our healthcare system, you know, uh, how we are gonna move forward. So I, I'm just going to say this as, as a comment and not, uh, you know, much of a question. Uh, and I leave it to, uh, to uh, Dr. Swift to give our situation about, about uh, the vaccination. Thank, thank you, Dr. Jack. Hi, Dr. Swift. Hi, thank you so much. Um, I realize we're running a little late, so I will fly through my presentation. Um, can you all see my screen? I took the liberty of taking yeah. control. We're good to go. All right, so um, I just wanted to briefly review the framework under which we uh, receive our vaccine allocation in Alameda County. Thought it was a good time to touch base for reviewing our um, how our approach is structured and then a quick update on our mass vaccination program, which we continue to administer. So, um, just very briefly, um, many of you may know individual providers or large healthcare organizations. Um, we've signed a contract with our county partners to be part of the network here in Alameda County. Uh, weekly allocations are made to each healthcare organization to vaccinate their staff or now patients. Um, and these vaccines can be redistributed at the discretion of the county um, when they are needed in other places 
Um, there are consequences of non-adherence. Um, we can lose our vaccine supply and individual providers who do not comply um, can also be reported to their uh, professional licensing agencies. Um, and as you know, um, this in parallel now, uh, the state has signed a contract with Blue Shield for vaccine distribution. And we are in the process of understanding what that uh, relationship and arrangement will look like when they um, uh, because the vision is for them to take over this vaccine distribution. So I want to be very clear that this is how we are organized and we are expected to um, comply with the rules of the network. You may be, all be aware also, it's really exciting that on March 15th, the state will expand eligibility for vaccine for an additional group of people. Um, there are basically two additional groups, regardless of age, folks who have specific chronic underlying medical conditions, such as cancer, chronic kidney disease, chronic pulmonary disease who are oxygen dependent. You can see the list there. And those who, as a result of developmental or severe high risk disability, um, you know, meet one of the following criteria. So this means that um, the pool of available, you know, eligibility will dramatically increase for a large number of people across the state and in the county. And I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, here are some key um, comments that I've extracted from our great partners um, at uh, the Public Health Department and um, Healthcare Services Agency, some guiding principles that we take very seriously here at AHS as well. Um, you know, while vaccine is limited, we are to prioritize people who are older, disabled, or increased risk of exposure while we're in this tier. Um, who should be vaccinated um, and how should people get vaccinated? So um, there's strong encouragement that eligible people who are covered by their community health clinics, Kaiser or Sutter, should reach out to their healthcare provider. And this is going to be especially important as we move to um, a situation in which people with chronic medical illnesses uh, meet these criteria um, because there will be a process by which um, people may have to go to their primary care provider, get a note to attest that they actually have uh, diabetes with a hemoglobin um, A1C greater than 7.5. And in those cases, it might be best to just get their vaccination where they're seeking that note. And also, um, as you may know, our Department of Public Health is prioritizing appointments for those pods that they have opened for people who are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 and at high risk for transmission. Um, many of AHS's wellness sites also sit in those areas. Um, I just took a screenshot from an article about Blue Shield just to highlight that as Blue Shield also seeks to um, take over vaccine distribution at the state level, they are also going to have a very equity-focused algorithm. This is a bird's eye view, maybe I've shared this here before, of the different ways in which um, vaccine is uh, being uh, distributed. So we do um, currently are experiencing limited vaccine supply, yet at the same time, um, we are seeing um, increasing numbers of places for where folks can get vaccinated. And there's a two-prong basically strategy here. There are pods and then there are healthcare, there's a healthcare network. In these pods, you have probably seen, heard of the uh, Oakland Coliseum, the fairgrounds where they're vaccinating between, you know, five to 6,000 people per day. And then there are smaller pods hosted by our um, 
Department of Public Health and Healthcare Services Agency, where those are in the places where um, the risk of COVID is the highest. And then the second prong is leveraging existing uh, places where uh, people receive their healthcare. How are we doing here at AHS? Well, um, today, as of today, we have um, opened uh, vaccination clinics and opportunities at multiple sites across our organization. Uh, we have vaccination clinics at our four wellness centers. We are providing vaccination at our four long-term care facilities. We have two staff vaccination clinics. Um, because of the leadership of Heather McDonald-Fine and Dr. Damon Francis, along with Wanda J Johnson, our shelters, um, our mobile health team is now participating in the county um, uh, program to vaccinate people who are experiencing homelessness in shelters. And that team, I'm excited to report, began vaccinating this week. Coming soon, you may have seen our um, memo that we received word from um, the county that we should expect that Johnson & Johnson, the Jensen uh, vaccine, is about to arrive. And we should begin preparing for planning to vaccinate patients in our inpatient services and the emergency department. So our... Inpatient services under the leadership of Dr. Tornabeni have been developing um, workflows and plans, um, as well as our ED uh, leaders as well. I want to say across the enterprise, just like we talked about lab and radiology, pharmacy is at the core of all of these sites, and with the even with our shelters. When we fully uh, start vaccinating patients across our EDs and inpatient services, that could be a total of 17 different sites. And it is a tremendous responsibility and a Herculean task for our pharmacists and our pharmacy team to make sure that each site is receiving their vaccine, that all doses are accounted for, and that safety checks are done along the way. I think they, uh, along with numerous others, deserve a huge amount of our gratitude. Other activities, we are not just putting needles in deltoids. Um, AHS is also um, strongly working on vaccine advocacy internally and externally. We've developed a um, speakers bureau of trusted messengers to be able to provide education both externally and internally. We have a variety of resources and we have been canvassing, um, you know, starting to canvas our organization, dropping down into smile huddles, we are available for town, uh, department meetings, and we have been visiting town halls in the community to provide more support. In addition, um, we have been partnering with our county to avoid the closure of um, public health pods when we can redistribute the uh, vaccine. Um, it, we have been able to maintain our own operations. We have redistributed doses in order to prevent closure of other clinics. Um, and we um, have a new partnership with our Coliseum colleagues in order to provide a service to screen um, volunteers who are vaccinated if they have a needle stick injury. Um, and I, I, that is being led under the leadership of Dr. Nikita Joshi, Dr. Ng, and Faye Seichau, and Ms. Veronica Shelton at Alameda Hospital. Lastly, our stats. Um, as of um, today, we have provided 4,048 um, vaccinations in all patient sites. 
Um, these represent patients in our long-term care facilities where 81% of our patients have received their first dose and 76% have received their second dose. In terms of our staff, um, 3,691 staff have been vaccinated. That's approximately 63% of our AHS staff have received their first dose. And with that, I'll stop. Thank you, Dr. Swift. Trustees, questions? So Dr. Swift, I asked you to do this quickly. You did do it quickly. And then I'm gonna ask you a question which may not facilitate a quick answer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's re- recently been in the news and you and uh, you know, I have a colleague who's in the operations office of Santa Clara. Santa Clara, Santa Clara recently made the decision to refuse Blue Shield's uh, max vaccination program. Can you talk about the, uh, 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 give us the Reader's Digest version of that? And more importantly, how does this impact us here? Wow. Um, Yeah, sorry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I think as we are evaluating um, the contracting opportunity with um, Blue Shield, we we have we have the contract we're looking at their requirements we are also um, looking to our partners at healthcare services agency to see how um, we as alameda county will be moving forward so one of our first steps would be to wait to see how our county is going to move forward Um, we are evaluating the contract and to understand some of the requirements um, that that we will uh, have to adhere to as part of that contract. Um, I did have the opportunity to speak to your your colleague um, at Santa Clara Santa Clara Valley Medical Center. I think some of the issues and the the gaps that they are trying to cover are slightly different for for us as a healthcare organization. Um, you know. Um, we are still learning more about uh, the proposal to the requirement to use the IT platform MyTurn. Um, from what I understand, and others, uh, other leaders here on this call can um, provide more details. We may be required. We will be required to use MyTurn. Um, there are some requirements to use it for scheduling. We definitely will have to use it for reporting. Um, the degree to which that integration has to take place. Uh, you know, the resources required for us to integrate Epic with MyTurn um, still need to be explored. Um, from what I understand, um, MyTurn is available in, you know, it's an IT platform. We need to understand for our patients what that means around the digital divide. One of the ways in which AHS distinguishes itself in terms of the vaccine program is that we uh, have a call center and a telephone-based way of patients for our patients to Uh, receive appointments. We can serve um, lots of different languages and we have expertise in reaching out to our patients um, across a spectrum of um, social complexity. And so we are currently in the process of three things. Um, We are waiting to hear more from our colleagues in the county to see how we're going to proceed. We're evaluating that contract um, because as I understand, we'll have to sign ourselves and um, just trying to understand the resource requirements and the impact to our patients. Yeah, if I may. um, Yes, trust. Yeah, I think one of the concerns was the digital divide, but also having a private company kind of have so much patient data. um, And how would that be used? Was that something or did I mishear that? No, no, that's the arguments. 
having uh, that data and what where is how are those protections for our patient privacy and their contact information being uh, you know um, being used um, it, it's yeah. a complex subject I believe LA County may have uh, op uh, considered opt-out but you know again I'm not abreast fully of the news but uh, it, it's complex stuff I think our 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 population health team in concert with our county partners will examine the question deeply given given where we are may i ask chair yes ma'am once we enter let's say we do enter into the contract is there a way out if we decide actually our patients are no longer gaining access to all the language capacity and specialized resources through our call center and things of that nature I don't know at this point. Um, you know, we haven't seen the details of the arrangement. Um, we would, we're still, I, I don't know because the vaccine supply, and now I'm talking about an area that I actually have no expertise in. Um, you know, the purpose of this is to set up a network for vaccine distribution. Mm -hmm. And so if that is the way the vaccines are going to be distributed and we choose to get out of it, we would have to figure out another way of obtaining them. Yeah. The trustee esteemed uh, there will be uh, a lot of investment in building, well, quite a bit of investment in building the infrastructure of, uh, of communication between the MyTurn and our infrastructure. Uh, and uh, it is going to create competition from uh, the public with our patients. If the public have access to MyTurn, then we have to open slots for them. So we should be like sort of opening our vaccination facilities outside our patient system. So these are the like the concern at the high level, but we're looking into it. Okay. Thank you. Trustees, any other further questions? Thank you, uh, Dr. Swift, Dr. Jamaldeen. With that, we'll close item F2. Item F3 had previously been slated for 20 minutes. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna keep it shorter. The item is an item which actually relates to the, how we started the meeting, talking about board performance, how we see ourselves. There's an, an additional article here. There was a lot of reading and homework here to be done. I, I ask you to read this article because this will be a segue into our ongoing discussions and probably ultimately landing on something, how we measure ourselves at, at, the, at the Board of Trustee Retreat. I'm just gonna close this section by e reading um, item E6 of our bylaws. Item E6 of our bylaws. The Board of Trustees shall conduct an annual self-evaluation of its performance. The scope and results of such annual report shall be reduced to writing and provided to the Board of Supervisors on a not less than annual basis and shall include a section detailing the key accomplishments of the CEO for the review period. So this is something that we're compelled to do and, uh, and also will help make us better. Um, so I ask us to read the articles and be thoughtful about how we do this. I will note that I'll be sending you, uh, we have, we are engaged with uh, a company called the Governance Institute, which many of you are aware of. They actually have a board uh, evaluation instrument. Um, I'm going to send that all to you just for your review uh, and um, as fodder for further discussion. So with that, we will uh, close item F3. Item G are the staff reports. We have um, a number of staff reports. I'll, I'll open this up. Are there any questions on any of the staff reports? 
I see none. With that, we will close item G. And uh, we're about to enter into closed session. Um, thank you to the audience. The closed session, trustees and audience, is ballpark estimated at around one hour. Um, we will report out on any uh, 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 action taken in closed session, if any, uh, and uh, if you're still here. Uh, so with that, uh, we will move uh, to closed session. Thank you, audience. Yeah, so the closed session will cover the set forth in the agenda. Thank you, everyone.